Aha. Uh -huh. We've got five thumbs up. <laughs> That's uh, very impressive, uh, considering no one's here. I'd be more prone to believe the end is near if the sign said the end is nigh. Ah, oh yeah, that's the uh, the little placeholder I've got. Um, yeah, you know, cactus eater bear is obviously a skeptic. There we go. Okay, here we are. Ah, there we have one person. That's probably her, I would guess. Seven thumbs up. Oh, we've got nine people. Cool. So I'll just talk for a little second. First of all, if one of you guys can tell me, can you see both of us? Because it's a split screen here, but as you know, I'm technologically very aware. So maybe. Yeah, I have the screen on my screen here, and I can see that uh, okay. split screen. The high priestess is here and listening, <laughs> sending love. <laughs> cool. Okay, uh, guys, can you do me a favor? Just tell us, can you see? Oh, 21 people already. Wow. You're a very popular man. Is it going to be the most... Can you see both of us? Yes? Cool. Thank you, Zenostart. You see, that's, this guy's quick. Zenostart is young, quick, and he's way ahead of where I was at 22. Way ahead. So I'm very impressed. Um, so just so you guys know a little bit of uh, background information. Um, today, I've had the grand total of... This is my second espresso, and this one is doctored with Jägermeister. And the sum total of my eating today was uh, a bacon and egg sandwich my wife made me. I've been a little bit busy, so I'm kind of fading, but I'm going to let this man take over most of it and tell us what he knows. Here are the things I'm personally interested in. Well, I say interested in, but entertain would be entertained by, let's put it that way. One thing is uh, they... Can you see the stream as well, by the way? Woolly Ram? You mean on YouTube? Yes. Okay, so you're watching the, the comments, yeah? Yes. Okay, perfect. So, um, what, I'm, what I'm curious about is this whole millennialism, which, as you correctly stated, I think is a Protestant thing. But, you know, online I pretty much bash Protestants and hang around with Protestants and whatever. I've, I've, honest to God, never concerned myself with eschatology, the end times and all that, because basically, I'm, I'm a kind of a basic Bible believer, Bible reader, a basic at all, in all ways. Um, and I sort of stick to like, you know, in the Bible, it tells you not even Jesus knows the hour of the second coming. So if that guy doesn't know, there's really no point in me fussing about it. Uh and I, and you know, I know it's going to be all bad times, and everybody will die, and whatever. But it's like, well, nah, you know what I mean. I'll deal with that when it comes to it. I know that there's a lot of Catholic prophecies that say that there's going to be three days of darkness, in which pretty much everyone that steps out of the house or whatever will die, unless they've got like blessed candles to keep them light for those three days. There's various versions of that prophecy, which again. I think I've got some can. I know I've got a few candles from when I got baptized and stuff. You know, whether well, the last three days, I don't know. But <coughs> I'm not going to lose sleep over it. So um, I think we've got enough. There's already thirty plus people here. So uh, no, the, I think the audio is fine, and I think I'm just going to let the bearded monk <laughs> take over. <laughs> Go for it. Tell us what you know. Wow. Uh, I'm not a religious yet, but um, first, 
speaking of being religious, just a short disclaimer. Yeah. Neither of us is a priest. No. Neither of us is religious. We don't have authority. Please don't try to derive dogma or spiritual instruction from this uh, rambling stream that we're going to have. <laughs> Very good. So uh, I, would say, was I, I, would say, I would say we are <laughs> religious, but we're not. Uh, we don't have religious orders. We're not. Uh, yeah. yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, uh, it's I'm just for the, the for the average Protestant here doesn't doesn't understand these things. Fair enough. So the point is, when a Catholic says religious, he's not talking about having a religious or having a religion. He's talking about someone who's actually taken um, oaths and is part of a religious order. That's uh, for the edification of any Protestants uh, in the chat. <laughs> All right. So now on to the actual subject. Um, I actually wanted to start, I suppose, a little more generally before digging into uh what I think is actual, before <laughs> what I think is the actual um, Catholic dogma. Cool. And specifically, you had a few videos where you were talking about uh, precognition in humans. Yes. Um, and it's something that I was thinking of. That um, I mean, precognition and prophecy become a lot less, call it um, surprising or strange, yeah. once you understand that we have a well. A spiritual and uh, immortal nature. Indeed. Granted, it's suppressed right now by our fallen nature. Uh, if I can, sorry to interject. I will honestly try not to interrupt you. I, I hate when people do that, and I'm, I'm going to try not to. But there is a really important point on what you've just mentioned, because precognition has been demonstrated statistically in a bunch of studies, and it's been the 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 biggest meta study that was done was by a guy called um, I forget the guy's name. One of them was called Ferrari. Weirdly enough, Homerton and Ferrari, I think, they did a meta study on precognition. Yeah, um, and it's absolutely proven that it exists. But furthermore, I'm one of the very few people on Earth that has connected two guys that I didn't know had worked together. I co I contacted them individually. One of them is Peter Garajev which is spelled phonetically in 10 different ways. He's a Russian guy who wrote a mono, like a, a little book called The Wave. It's all in Russian. He sent it to me free because he was like, dude, you're one of the only few guys that understands what the hell I'm talking about. And the only reason I knew that he was saying that is because he doesn't speak a word of English. My Russian is like enough to swear at somebody and say some dirty things. Um, but I had a Russian girlfriend at the time, so she was translating for me, you know, the emails. And um, awesome guy. And he worked with another guy that's called, I think, Rowling. All the stuff is in my Sistema book, by the way. Now, the Rowling guy was teaching, um, was using precognition and training special ops guys to have precognition. Because precognition, and I've, I've personally experienced this a few times. I talk about it in the book as well. And it has saved my life, honestly, at least twice, if not death, definitely serious injury. About a second, a second and a half, two seconds before something really serious happens, you get. I got pictures. I, I literally got an image in my head, full color and everything. And I've, you know, I've, I've had quite a lot of dealings with people that have been in war, that have had some serious situations going on over a long period of time. It's invariable. If you speak to anybody, any soldiers that have been in protracted um, situations of war, 
amongst them you will always find there are people that just had this like sixth sense that warned them and they just moved away from that area before like mortar landed or whatever you know so it is an absolute thing and it can be trained uh, if you connect these two guys together then you start to understand why and it's absolutely true what you said about the spiritual connection being immortal because what Peter Garayev basically proved in layman's terms is that your junk DNA is essentially a concatenation of mini wormholes that allows information to pass backwards and forwards in time and if you want to really understand that a bit better you need to read up on what solitonic waves are which my brain barely grasps when I actually am reading it in front of me and most people just can't but um, the fact is that just what is a concatenation? Concatenation is a, a linking, a continued linking so you know your junk DNA, is what they call junk DNA is like 98% of your DNA so it's like a huge long chain right but in that huge long chain it looks like the, the formation of molecules are put in such a way that they form super tiny uh, wormholes which is why things like hypnosis can change you know in hypnosis there's something you call timeline um, therapy so it's like whatever happened to you in the past you you put the guy in a hypnotic state you go into his past and you change his past so that he has a better outcome um, it's not like he forgets what happened but it changes his emotional state and it changes the neural links in his brain and he becomes pretty much a different person uh, if you do the hypnosis properly. Um, I'm talking about pretty advanced stuff that very few people, even in hypno hypnotists, do properly. So, what, I'm sorry to go off on a tangent. No, it's not really a tangent. It's really exactly what you said. You, you've, in one sentence, you've compacted everything that I'm talking about. But the reason I'm mentioning it is because a lot of people just like, you know, from that one sentence, you won't get all of this if you haven't done this research, if you don't know about these topics, gotcha. and it connects everything to this. So, um, again, I'm not trying to whore my book, but in the Sistema book, there's some studies there that I'm, I'm one of the only guys that did a, um, a, a thesis-level study on which martial art is most effective. And it was a really fascinating guy that did that study. So I was part of that study. There's, there's some really interesting information in there. So I'll stop there now. And I'm sorry for the interruption. Continue. Actually, just one, like a small play off what you said. Um, things, we only call it junk DNA because the current scientific assumption is one of chaos leading into order. Yeah. You know, ev evolution leading into coherent life, which I mean... <laughs> Well, I'm Jägermeister today, but uh, I'll probably need something else in a minute. <laughs> All right, so now that we've gone, just, I mean, call it uh, human nature and how we are actually capable of prophecy beyond, you know, just divine fiat. Yes. Because the thing is, being in the image and likeness of God you know, it, it means more than just, you know, being bipedals or being sapient or any of that stuff. Part of what it means is that we are not fully subject to time. That's Correct. probably why we are capable of prophesizing. And another interesting thing, you were talking about training people for prophecy. This actually also fits into Jewish tradition that um, during the time of the Old Testament, there were thousands of prophets 
only a handful were selected to be recorded and kept, you know, for, for generations to come. Yes. Now, prophecy was, was common, and it, there were actual schools and, uh, like, almost monasteries for prophets. And part, part, of the, part, of, part of the prophet's training was actually uh, physical excellence and music. That makes perfect sense to me because it ties in exactly what Peter Garayev was saying. He did experiments, by the way. It's not just theory what this guy did. He did physical experiments that like um, basically with laser interferometry shining at like living seeds. And then they took seeds from, uh, they were super dead, from, from um, Chernobyl. And what they did is they collected the information of, from laser interferometry shining on these living seeds and then zapped put it on the dead seeds and they came back to life. They, they, they did incredible stuff, um, which everybody on the internet was like, oh, it's just bullshit. But then I knew this Rollins guy and I said, you know, this, this stuff you're talking about seems to tie in with what this Peter Garayev guy did. And he goes, oh, I know Peter. He came over to, we did the experiments at the, in San Francisco, one of the, one of the universities, which by the way, I'd been on that campus when I went to visit my brother 20 years earlier. And he goes, the only problem was we had to do it in a weekend because it's super expensive, that laser interferometry stuff. And they allowed us to borrow it over the weekend. But it was such a rush thing and it was only there for a couple of days. We didn't record it. And I was like still beating myself up about it because I definitely saw everything I wrote about it's true. It's not, it's not making it up. And so I had independent confirmation, which I didn't go looking for. I mean, I, I honestly didn't know these guys knew each other. So it was very interesting. Um, and I, again, I just mentioned because it's not theory. It's, uh, it's, it's happened. And what he's talking about, you know, late, the laser interferometry, the DNA, the hypnosis, how they all relate to each other is through resonance, which, by the way, brings up Tesla, but we won't go there. <laughs> so, yeah, again, I'm sorry, man. I'm, I'm going to try and just shut up. I'm going uh, to make a little note of some of the questions. We'll get to them later, and I'll, I'll now keep quiet. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I suppose a point to start at is um, anyone who's even vaguely aware right now is very keenly aware of the fact that we are at the end of an age. I don't think this needs a no. <laughs> great explanation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the thing, the thing of interest, though, is there are always commonalities to the end of an age. So specifically, I'm thinking of the end of the Roman Empire, and I'm thinking specifically the end of the Roman Empire because the United States, which is the current uh, empire, yeah. in decline and, you know, on its on its last, what, decade and a half of life? Yes. Maybe? Yeah, if that, yeah. It uses Roman symbology. It, it uses It uses a Roman-derived uh, language. Yeah. So, well, in, some, in some ways you can say... Mm. English, yeah. partly, partly Roman-derived, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, English, English has borrowed so many Latin words. Yeah. Well, borrowed. More like stolen, you know, in a dark alley at night, but hey. So everything we're seeing around us right now, the degradation of morals, uh, the degradation of technology, um, well, the, the, fa the fact that the Imperial Army of the United States, I mean, ignore, ignore the women and fags, it's also full of non-citizens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which, 
at, at, at what point was the was the Roman army, you know, even even its officers was mostly composed of what was it, uh, Germanic barbarians? Well, foreigners of, of all sorts, of all kinds. Um, and that essentially happened because they, um, it's very interesting. There's, there's actually a very good book called, you know, you know the phrase Veni Vidi Vici? It's not yes. that, it's something similar to that, and I forget the author, but it's it's just composed of little paragraphs that tell you about Roman history and the laws they had and the, the you know the kind of social effects that they had. Very, very good to give you an overview of the whole thing. Uh, it's quite a quite a well-known book, it did pretty well. And um, it talks about exactly how essentially as the Romans became more and more powerful. They, the soldiers originally were farmers. They, they were all actual Romans. And um, back in those days, you, you wouldn't have a war during harvest time. You couldn't call up the soldiers during harvest time because otherwise they would starve. So there were certain rules about this. And then it's like, well, we're having more wars everywhere. Uh, well, let's hire some guys that are just soldiers. And these guys, that's all they do. Now, in the first, originally, some of these guys just became professional soldiers and said, screw being a farmer, I'm just going to be a soldier. And then after my 20 years, because that was the enrollment period, I think it was um, a period of 20 years as a, as a soldier before you could retire. Um, then you got a bunch of payout and you'd get paid as a soldier, as a professional soldier, you'd get paid. I think it was three sesterces a day or something like that, which was, you know, decent pay. And... Um, but then as the empire kept expanding, they, they eventually started hiring foreigners to do it because, well, these guys fight all the time. That's all they do. And over time, of course, the foreigners sort of said, hey, hey, there's a lot of us. And uh, these Roman guys, well, they're just farmers now. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely right. And speaking of the Cistercian, and the pay of soldiers, <clears throat> um, when was it? Was it in the three hundreds that uh, Rome started adulterating their currency? It, into... yeah, man, I, it's just because I read this book. They talk about that and how the silver mines and the gold. Yeah, absolutely. You're a fount of knowledge. I, I've never met a guy that is as probably better read than I am. Maybe I don't know. I'm I'm not very well read, but I absorb a lot of information, and then it just yeah, it's completely unindexed. So it's just. Connection to connection to connection. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's how the human brain works best. Um, anyway, the point is that um, I mean, to call the U.S. dollar adulterated um, <laughs> does violence to the world to the word <laughs> adulteration. <laughs> yeah. There's, I mean, the, 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 we're, we're, it's not even petrodollars anymore. The, the dollar isn't even anymore um, sustained by you know buying and selling oil. It's simply being sustained by the violence of the U.S. Army and debt. Yes. That's, that's all that's holding the U.S. dollar as currency. You know, you've got an awesome ability to synthesize pretty complex things in a couple of sentences. Uh, that, that, is, that is probably the best description I've heard ever, I think. And... and it fits my uh, personal opinion of economists and everything that economists say. In other words, bullshit. <laughs> you just focus <laughs> right on the problem. Yeah, the thing is, I mean, when it comes to economy, people always make the mistake that economics is about math. It's not about math. Nope. It's about human behavior with resources. <laughs> Indeed. It's, 
That's really all it is. It's, it's the study of human behavior and resources. But the problem is um, that the people that mm -hmm. write books about it haven't got a fucking clue about it, for the most part. I mean, all the professional economists, I think you could take the sum total of their knowledge and put it on the back of a postcard of the actual useful knowledge. Yeah, there's a, there's an expression I rather like. I think it's from Hayek, where he would call he would call this sort of these sort of uh, economists. He'd call them econometricians. <laughs> yeah, that's a good word. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and only, only if you've read Hayek, you understand what a what a subtle insult that is. It but, is. Uh, <laughs> it's actually quite smart. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. I mean, they have. I mean, they have like an old uh, continental European humor. It is. It's a very powerful little dig because it, not only is it saying they're just number crunches but they're economizing on the number crunches so they're not even good ones <laughs> <laughs> it's like stingy number crunches <laughs> very nice well i mean all that i mean we've we've drifted far far yes, from, sorry, the, from the course but uh... yeah. <laughs> i'm a bad interviewer man i'll, I'll drag you off the point <laughs> rather than bring you back to it <laughs> All right. Um, so now, actually, getting to call it uh, end times and actual prophecies in the Bible about the end times. Yeah. So the point I actually want to start at is. Um, hmm, wondering if I want to actually start earlier because we have in Genesis we have what's called the uh, I think the Proto Evangelium, like okay. the first good news. Yeah. So that's right after the sin of Adam and Eve. There we go. I will put enmities between thee and the woman, and thy seed and her seed. She shall crush thy head, and thou shalt lie in wait for her heel. <clears throat> Doesn't sound like much, unless you well understand the Bible again from the perspective that... Um, you could almost say here, how to put it, um, I don't know if we want to get into this sort of talk. Um, so you have the event of creation yeah. where time starts, yeah. but you have a second event where you could say um, infinity and finity touch together, which is the death of Christ. Yes, indeed. Yeah. That is the, yeah. So if you, if you go into the whole, you know, how... Um, okay, I won't go into that. So all I want to say is that once you understand that the entire Bible is pointing towards the crucifixion, well, his birth, well, his incarnation, birth, life, crucifixion, and death, that whole, those, that 33 years yeah. in time is what the Bible is pointing at. And that is, and all the, all the time that we are living in now is yeah. pointing backwards. To those 33 years indeed yeah absolutely agree so once you read this uh sentence in that way you understand that this is like the first uh inkling of hope which interestingly comes intermingled with the punishment of the serpent not just that but obviously places quite a bit of importance on mary That's only again. That's only if you are, if you understand and you adhere here and you adhere to the older translations of the Bible, yep. which is enmity between the other woman, thy seed and her seed. 
Because it's talking about the seed of the woman. Yes. Which, I mean, is a bit strange for, you know, a primitive people to talk about the seed of a woman. A man has seed. A yeah. woman is just an incubator. Yeah. So, so explain, delve into that a little bit, if you would. Now, if you look at the old, um, well, even yeah. old medical texts, I mean, at, at one point, at what point was, did people actually uh, conclude that women are actually, um, you know, contribute to making the child, that they're not just an incubator for the man's seed? I don't actually know. Neither do I, but as far as, as far as I recall, I don't know, I don't know any specifics, but um, I honestly think that it's a fairly modern uh, understanding that women are actually, you know, responsible for half of the, uh, for half of the child. I mean, that must have been pretty obvious, you know, when you have kids, you can see that they've got some features from the mom. And... Yeah. Well, anyway, that's just, that's just a small, Yeah. that's like the, like, let's put it this way, the first prophecy looking forward. And I mean, the, 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 the obvious question here is, what does it mean that uh, she shall crush thy head and thou shalt lie in wait for her heel? That's, I would say, the, the obvious question here. Now, leaping forward to uh, Genesis 49, this is when Jacob, who is on his deathbed, is basically prophesizing to his children. And these are the, the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, if you know the number 12, there's 12 apostles. 12 tribes. Uh, the woman in Revelation is crowned with 12 stars. Yeah. In Joseph's dream, which again, going back to Genesis, he has a dream where the 12 stars and the moon and sun bow to him. And that's part of the reason that his uh, brother decided to sell him off to slavery to Egypt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> And so it's very obvious that the 12 stars represent the 12 tribes. And if we leap again forward, I don't recall in which gospel it is, but it's one of those parts where um, Jesus is somewhat exasperated with his, uh, with his disciples, and he's saying, do you not know that you will sit in judgment on the 12 tribes of Israel? Yeah. The, I, th I think the apostles were squabbling about who was first or last in yeah. the, their uh, fraternity. So anyway, the point the point is, the number twelve is very obviously, you know, relating to the uh, to the apostles, to the tribes of Israel, you know, and Israel is you have old Israel, yeah. which you know was the the various tribes of Israel up until the coming of Jesus, and from then on, anyone who's baptized and believes in Christ is the new Israel. Yeah. And the thing is, so now um, Jacob hears. I'll just read it out. Okay, so. And Jacob called his sons and said to them, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you the things that shall befall you in the last days. Now, he goes here through the various tribes and he gives them uh, like prophecies that regard their nature and quality. As a standout, Simon and Levi, brethren, vessels of iniquity, waging war. So Let not I, my soul go in their counsel. Can mm. I, because I, I am personally ignorant of, I know that the 12 tribes represent certain people, uh, but I'm not clear exactly on the depth and width of that representation. Let's put it that way. 
So I know it's is the tribe very... of Levi supposed to be the Jews? The you know I don't know the, who's the Gentiles? Who's no? It's not like that. Okay. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not. It's it's representing the people of God. Right. That's that's the whole tribes of Israel. So, for example, you have Reuben, the firstborn, yeah. who was basically demoted from his position of primacy due to him uh, basically uh, playing around with one of his father's concubines. Okay. That'll do yes. <laughs> so, in here, I mean, this is the first one he's talking to. So, Reuben, my firstborn, thou art my strength and the beginning of my sorrow, excelling in gifts, greater in command. Thou art poured out as water. Grow thou not, because thou wantst up thy father's bed, and didst defile his couch. Cool. And this is, I have no commentaries on this here, but yeah. this actually makes me think that this actually refers to the Jews. Okay. Why? Why? Basically, God's firstborn. Oh, that's a good point. God's firstborn on earth. Yeah. And the beginning of my sorrow. That's a very good point. Granted, granted, you know, granted a priesthood, granted kings, granted the promised holy land. And sorry, which passage is this again? Just because I'm going to go read it. This is Genesis 49. Right. Yeah, you said, but um, yeah. Okay, so Reuben was the firstborn, and then. Well, I don't. I don't want to dwell um, too much on this okay. specific prophecy. Yeah. Okay. As he goes here through all the tribes. Do any of them come so out example, good, or are they all pretty slammed? Uh, for example, well, Judah. Thee shall thy brethren praise, thy hands shall be on the nets of thy enemies. The sons of thy father shall bow down to thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. To the prey, my son, thou art gone up. Resting thou hast crouched as a lion, as a lioness. Who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not be taken away from Judah, nor a ruler from his thigh, till he come that is to be sent, and he shall be the expectation of nations. Tying his fowl to the vineyard and his ass, O my son to the vine, he shall wash his robe in wine and his garment in the blood of the grape. Okay. Judah, Judah gets one of the most meaty um, yeah. prophecies. Because he is the, the forefather, as it were, of David, yeah. who is the forefather of Christ. Yeah. And the, the commentators and the saints have a lot to say about this uh, specific segment. Yeah. And here's another interesting thing. Um, I actually really like this one. He says, how shall be strong ass lying down between the borders? Ass as a donkey. Yeah. He saw rest that it was good, and the land that it was excellent, and he bowed his shoulder to carry and became a servant under tribute. This is one of the most interesting lines. Yeah. It's like he sees that resting and doing nothing is good. Yeah. So he went to work. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really know what to make of it, but all right. Anyway, so here's another interesting one. Dan shall judge his people like another tribe in Israel. It's important to note that Dan is the lesser son of one of the uh, one of the concubines of of Israel. Like Israel has two primary wives, yeah. Leah and Rachel. Yeah, and he has his and he has two uh, concubines, which are basically the hands the maids of uh, yeah. of his wives. Now let Dan be a snake in the way, a serpent in the path, 
that biteth the horse's heel, and his rider may fall backwards. What's interesting to think here is that this leaps all the way to the end, to Revelations. Yeah. When you look in Revelations, and it talks there about the various tribes being sealed in the Book of Life, in the yeah. Book of the Lamb, yeah. the tribe of Dan is missing. And this has led the church fathers to conclude that the Antichrist will be born from the tribe of Dan, from the tribe that has been, uh, well, likened to the serpent. This is really, really interesting on a very, um, again, I'm going to not interrupt you, but on a personal level, I've spoken about this before. The film Cloud Atlas was extremely meaningful for my little road to Damascus moment. And it's very interesting that in that film, and I think in the book, which I read, the, and actually that's one of the very few films that is actually better than the book, but there is this strain, strain of people that just seem to be evil, no matter which reincarnation or whatever they come into. So it's quite interesting that. Yeah. What's interesting about Dan is that if you go through the book of Judges, <clears throat> every tribe has a few judges, yeah. and the tribe of Dan has one judge, if I recall correctly, and that's Samson. Oh, <laughs> and he was the guy that killed a whole bunch of people and was kind of weird. Yep. And that's that's the interesting thing about Dan is that about, well, Samson, is it says there, like, he judged the people of Israel for, I think, like 20 years, and there's nothing written about that period. And then there's this, the whole period where he's basically um, dallying with uh, Philistine women. Yeah. And you know, he's doing, he's doing his, his riddles. And yeah, but his riddles are like, kind of a cheated riddle and then like he kills a bunch of people yes. because they cheat yep. on his cheat it's like what the hell this guy was crazy <laughs> it's 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 one of the, there there are a few segments of the bible that are very strange yeah and samson and also uh, the prophet jonah if you ever read yes. the prophet jonah it's very short uh, yeah i don't know what the hell jonah is about to be honest I, I it's very interesting but i, I can't figure it out Okay, we have to put this aside for another stream. Yeah, indeed. Because there's some very interesting Jewish traditions about the Prophet Jonah. Okay. Which I think are instructive. Yeah. Uh, Instinctively, anyway, I feel Jonah is important, but I can't figure out why. He's essential, essentially important. Hmm. Not, okay, I, I have to dive into this just a bit. Yeah, good, good. So we what, like what the Jewish commentaries have to say about Jonah is, when, when you read it, it's, uh, it's, very, it's one of the most laconic prophets. And the prophets tend to be rather verbose. Yeah. And Jonah barely speaks. And he hates all of them. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing. The Jewish commentators say that the reason Jonah was so reluctant to do his job was because at that time, the nation of Israel was mired in sin yeah. and idolatry and all villainy. Yeah. And he knew that God is sending him to prophesy on Nineveh as a, uh, how do you put it, um, as a rebuke to Israel. Yeah. It's like, I send a prophet to the nations, yeah. and all they need is one warning, and they return from their evil ways. But you, my people... I have given you thousands of prophets, and you still retain your evil ways. Indeed. <clears throat> um, anyway, there was one thing I did, there was something I also wanted to, um, which doesn't actually 
isn't actually uh, entirely um, pertinent to the subject we're talking about, but it's uh, the tribes Simon and Levi. Yes. So Simon, if I recall correctly, um, Saint Peter is for his name before he was the Rock. He was Simon, right? Indeed, he was. Yes. Yeah. So and Levi, Levi is the father of the tribe of priests. Y yeah. But the tribe of priests yeah. is still in the in the in the Jewish in system. the Old Testament, yeah. yes. Yeah. But here's what's important. So, and this is what's what's also very strange. And I'm, I wish I had the time to just sit down with you know Catholic commentaries. Yeah. As part of the reason I would really like to become a monastic, but God knows if this is the age for monastics. I think uh, I think there's a space for it. Absolutely, I, I'm I'm convinced of that. You know, since our last talk, I've been giving that a lot of thought. I, honest to God, believe that you have a uh, a very important role. Um, I mean, I started out jokingly saying, you know, my man in Israel, whatever. But um, no, I, I've I've been giving. A, you know, I don't want to again go off on another tangent. But I honestly. Again, instinctively, like an animal, you know, like like Jonah. I don't know why I've always, even when I wasn't Christian, it was one of the few stories in the Bible that I knew, and I was like, there's something really important there, but I don't know what it is. And I, I am like that. I'm very intuitive, but like a beast, you know. I don't really necessarily know why until much later. And, and that's the sense I get about your, not only being in Israel now, which I don't know that it necessarily has to stay that way or whatever, but... When you say that monastic or a priest, you know, some kind of a religious in the Catholic sense, absolutely, I, I get a sense that that's a very important thing and that you don't treat it lightly. It would be my personal advice for all that that's worth. But yeah, I'll, I'll stop it there. But yeah. Anyway, the point I want to get at, so um, Simon and Levi, you can see here that uh, Israel or old Israel or Jacob treats them together. Yeah. That's because they were the inseparable brothers. Right. And the interesting thing is, the point where they become like come to our attention is when their sister Dina. And here's an interest, another interesting thing: the the word "dan," which is also a very old Hebrew word because it's a two-letter root yeah. form, means judge. Oh. So the tribe Dan means the tribe okay. judge. Yeah. And Dina is basically the the female um, okay. like the female form of judge. Right. Okay. So, when uh, when when Jacob returns to Israel after his time in Babel, he sets camp next to the area of Shem, and his daughter Dina basically goes out and is captured by the uh, like the prince of the city of Shem and defiled. Yeah. Now the now the prince of the city wants to basically wants to make peace with Jacob and marry his daughter. They want to uh, intermingle with uh, with Jacob's uh, tribe, yeah. and that's like Jacob. Jacob is too angry and surly to talk with anyone. So his two sons, uh, Simon and Levi, basically go tell them, tell the city of Shem, if you want to intermingle with us, you need to circumcise yourself. That is our law. Yeah. So the city of Shem circumcised themselves themselves. And Levi and Simon wait a day or two while they're weakest, you know, and recuperating from the surgery. Yeah. And they slaughter the city. <laughs> That's, yeah. It's a, it's a very Jewish story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And the thing is that, um, at least as far, as far as the Jewish tradition goes, that um, the tribe of Levi, because they're the priestly tribe, they have no land of their own. When you look at the way the, the, the Holy Land was carved up between the tribes, they have no land. And Simon is the same. This tribe was not given any land. Oh. It's also dispersed between the other tribes. Hmm. Now, also, if we go ahead to, um, like, why Levi became the tribe of priests and the tribe also of the temple guard. Yeah. That's because when, uh, after the... Um, well, during the during the, the reception of the first tablets, the Jews, you know, build their the Jews, well, the Israelites, they build the golden calf yes. and worship it. Yeah. And then when Moses comes down, he basically calls out, you know, whoever is for God, come to me. And three thousand of um, and like tribe Levi comes up to him. Yeah. And they basically go through the camp and slaughter the profligates. They slaughter, I think, about three thousand people. And that is when the tribe of Levi is basically given the, um, call it the, the, the temple duty. Yeah. And from that tribe, this is what's very strange. Yeah. Aaron, who's the one that the people of Israel came to while Moses was absent, and he's the one who constructed the gold calf. He is made high priest. That is really weird, isn't it? The man, like the man most at fault. Yeah. Is made high priest. So weird. Yeah, but God does that, that, that's, the, that's the thing. I think, um, I mean, Vox loves to drum, you know, this, this, uh, like to beat this drum that God loves taking the most imperfect oh, and yeah. well, broken I, tools and using them to his purpose. I can tell you that from personal experience in my tiny little way, because if you, if you told me 10 years ago, that I was going to be proselytizing Catholicism with, like, you know, one of those old zealots that, like, takes up the crusade, I would have laughed in your face. I would have just said, you're insane. There you Speaking are. of zealots. Yeah. So, at first, the priesthood was just Aaron and his two sons. And then the priesthood was expanded to one more person, Phineas. Ah. And the way he becomes, the way he uh, is, he's, he's actually, he's from the tribe of Levi, and I think he's a... Uh, like a grandson of Aaron, yeah. he's also awarded the priesthood when uh, the people of Israel are camping near the lands of Moab. So, and of course, as the Israelites do, they look at the Moabite women and yeah. they're like, they're very pretty. <laughs> so, of course, they go to them, they worship their false gods, God gets angry, and there's specifically one, uh, one of the, like, the elders of the tribe of Judah, Zimri ben Salu. Brazenly takes like one of the, uh, I think like the daughter of the high priest of Moab, takes her into his tent, and he's basically like thumbing his nose at Moses and saying like, "Who permitted you, uh, Zipporah, yeah. his own um, like un-Jewish wife?" Yeah, yeah. And Mo Moses is basically blowing his top off. Yeah. He's too angry to do anything. So Phineas just takes a lance, goes into the tent, skewers both of them. Yeah. Lifts it up and just parades those their two dead bodies through the camp, <laughs> and God says something to the effect of, "Because of your zeal, you have taken away my wrath from my people," and He gives him the priesthood. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that's just that—that's just like God to do that. So He's got a really funny sense of humor, doesn't He? Yeah, it's it's yeah. 
I mean, there's, there's, it's, there are so many times since my conversion that I've realized I'm to some degree like butt of God's joke in this or that matter. Absolutely. I know exactly how you feel. It's like, <laughs> all you can do is, is just laugh and, you know, hope for the best. You know, I, I always say that one of the surest things that you've actually had a road to Damascus moment, like an actual, you know, spiritual experience that, that really does involve God is that the, 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 the very second after it's ended, let's say, because when it's happening, you might be in such awe or, you know, some people are in terror, some people are in ecstasy, whatever. I was just fucking blown. I was just like, oh, this is so, there's no words that can describe the, the sensation of, I think I was filled with the ability to see God is love, you know, God is love. It's like the, the main concept of everything. I think however much a human being can can have that feeling without his head popping off his shoulders, I saw that, and without losing your fucking mind, because I think that would also, you know, so I, I managed to funnel as much of that in, so I was in sort of just awe while that happened, but the tenth of a second after that experience, I say ended, but there wasn't a cutoff, it's just sort of like, oh, now I can see sort of thing. But as soon as I started to ponder my own space and time within that new reality, the first thing that absolutely comes into your head is, oh, I was so totally, completely, and utterly fucking wrong about everything on a scale that I would have never been able to imagine. I am such a speck of dirt on the ass of a flea that's on the ass of another flea and then some, you know, and that's kind of how much I understood about anything. You know, it's, it's the, the, the sensation of your absolute error and, and stupidity and absurdity is like overwhelming. So much so that you don't even really feel too bad about it. It's just like, oh, this is so much bigger than anything I could possibly conceive. I don't even feel terrible about it. It's just like, wow, let me shut up and try and learn something now. You know, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. There's something, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit of a, a, it's not a very pleasant image, but I tend to, to sort of think of my own, like, call it um, uh, Burden of sin as a sort of pustule full of pus and blood. Uh, that's a very good description. And if you read the, the the Cloud of Unknowing, it's a brilliant little book. It has such descriptions like you're just a lump of rotting dirt, you know, in a sewer sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I'm at least the, the impression I'm getting from from the way because I notice that I'm changing mentally and spiritually. Yeah. Absolutely. And the, the the feeling at least I'm getting is that like when I decided to convert, the this this boil was lanced yeah. and it's currently just leaking out yeah. all, all of the scum, yeah. yeah. It's it's still there, the process is still ongoing, but I don't think it ends. It just uh Yeah. You know, it's like martial arts or art or learning how to paint. You, you never reach the end, it's a constant yeah. Well, I mean, unless you attain living sainthood, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm cheers not, to that. Yeah, I'm not holding my breath on me achieving that. It's just <laughs> that will be in God's hands for sure if that happens. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, so we've touched on some of the earlier prophecies. Yeah. That have to do with um, the end times, as it were. Yeah. 
Now, another one that's very important, and of course, I don't have it open. No worries. Is the one that uh, Christ himself gives and concludes it with, um, these are only the beginning of sorrows. Yeah. By the way, just a quick interjection. Chris Gova, I did not get your email. Uh, so it's uh, filotto at gmail.com. So just ping me an email again. I don't think I saw it. So it's Matthew 24. Yeah. So, and Jesus being come out of the temple went away, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. And he answering said to them, Do you see all these things? Amen, I say to you, there shall not be left here a stone upon a stone that shall not be destroyed. And when he was sitting on Mount Olivet, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and the consummation of the world? And Jesus answering said to them, Take heed that no man seduce you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and they will seduce many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not fooled, not troubled. For these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be pestilence and famine and earthquakes in places. Now all these are be the beginnings of sorrows. Yeah. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall put you to death, and you shall be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be scandalized, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall seduce many. And because iniquity hath abounded, the charity of man shall grow cold. But he that shall persevere to the end, he shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a testimony to all nations, and then shall the consummation come. When therefore you shall see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, he that readeth, let him understand. <laughs> and they that are in Judah, let him flee to the mountains. And he that is on the housetop, let him not come down or to take anything out of his house. And he that is in the field, let him not go back to take his coat. And woe to them that are with child and that give sack in those days. But pray that your flight be not in the winter nor on the Sabbath. I'll stop here because this entire, uh, this entire chapter is, it's not a chapter, but it's, um, it's dealing with two things actually simultaneously and this is a point i think that's very important because it's dealing both with the destruction of judah and the second temple and yes. the end of the old testament yes. i'm not sure if the old testament ends with the death of christ or if it ends with the destruction of the temple which is in 70 a.d right yeah it's like 40 years or so yeah. after uh, yeah. christ's crucifixion um, it's very interesting because that same passage is one of the few ones that I um, have some attachment to because 
I believe that in that same passage, unless I'm wrong, but it, it's uh, there is a you know how the New Testament always refers back to some Old Testament passages? Absolutely. And that story, the, the if I remember, it's that one where it talks about either the man in the field or a woman or something, refers back to the wife of Lot, as in, don't turn back and look look back, you'll turn into a pillar of salt, which I interpreted yeah. as, yeah. don't live in the past, keep moving, because, you know, when... when there's that, and there's also... Um, even if you are saved from the flame of tribulation, yeah, it's not because you deserve it. Yeah. So don't look back and gloat at those who are being afflicted. Indeed, indeed, yes. But the, the, and Just the thing, run that, to the, hills. The, the thing that seems um, to me from that passage also is that if you were gonna be, if you if you were gonna try and survive all of those tribulations, the safest route is for you to be an absolute, complete, full on zealot and believer no matter what happens that is mm -hmm. your safest path really i think i think christ says here like three or four times that there are going to be false prophets false christs false teachers and, do not be deceived and like bergoglio in the seat of them <laughs> oh, I'm, oh, sorry i meant uh, <laughs> yeah actually something i was some somewhat wondering about um because a few times you said that uh, Borgoglio might be, um, where you put it, the, um, the, the, like the prophet of the Antichrist? Yeah, sort of the, the, what do you call it, the herald of the Antichrist. Okay, why do you think that? Because I believe there's a passage that talks about the herald of the Antichrist being wounded in the head at some point, but you can't sort of kill him. Um, yes. And uh, at some point, Borgoglio also got a, bash on his head some you know he had a i don't know either he ran out of adrenochrome and he got the black eye or whatever um but at some point i believe he had an injury a head injury as well um and it's just look you know i, I could be totally wrong in general you know when people say oh it's the end of the world and this is the prophecy i ignore all that stuff and i include myself and in my own prophecies of the end times they're just speculation but given everything that's happening given I mean, Bergoglio is not just an apostate. Bergoglio is a never-was-Catholic, full-on Satanist who hangs out with, like, child-trafficking pedophiles. Um, and possibly that was also his boyfriend. Um, and I'm talking about... Um, uh, and and he's basically... When was it that he was wondering about the, um, like the Pacifica of St. Peter holding a demonic staff? Oh, yeah, he's. He, I think he's still wandering around. That staff was given to him, by the way, by two lesbians at the youth meeting he did or whatever in Rome or whatever it was. And and there's a video of it. There's actually these two lesbians that go up. And so, I mean, because symbolically what he's doing there yeah. is he has taken the flag of the enemy and put it and he's marching with it through the halls of his putative king. Absolutely. And that, that is one of the many reasons that I sort of see everything seems to point to this guy being the prophet of the Antichrist. Now, there's a very interesting point there. Because I believe, and again, keep in mind, I am no, you know, I'm like a baby Bible scholar, especially compared to yourself and even some Protestants I know and whatever. But I also believe that the Antichrist is supposed to be of Jewish origin. Yes. The very interesting Specifically thing. Specifically of the tribe of Dan. Is the, the serpent tribe. Very interesting thing is guess who appears to be a crypto Jew? 
Bill Gates. And what is Bill Gates trying to do? He's, try he's created, through a company called Moderna, a retroviral that he calls a vaccine, which actually modifies your DNA to produce the virus so that your body produces the antibodies. This is all theory. It hasn't even been tested on animals. And they've started shooting up some people on it, 80% of which have had serious like side effects, which have now just covered up and, oh, oops, nothing's happening. Now, the interesting thing is that he also has um, um, done the RFID chip implant, and there's various versions of it, not just the RFID chip implant, which has been around for a good 10 years at least, but also um, RFID tattoos. So you're going to get a tattoo that is digitally readable and has information so that you can just get scanned. When you've had your vaccination, you get scanned. Oh, now you can use money or have a bank account or eat, you know, whatever. And he's been doing this stuff for a long time. Guess what? The comp One of the compounds that is used to do this tattoo, believe it or not, is called luciferine. And uh, the patent number is 60606-something. <laughs> it, it, it literally is 60606. Uh, you know, it's like this: the number of confluences and coincidences are just a bit too many for my... And the fact is that you can't say all of this was completely planned because the thing that was called luciferine was discovered like 40 years ago or whatever, you know. Bill Gates didn't have anything to do with that. But it, they're it all... It does help to remember that our adversary yeah. is immortal. And not just that, but he likes to mock us. Because it's the closest he can get to mocking God. Yep, exactly that. So, so the, the point I was trying to get at, actually, was this. What I think is that these various prophecies about the end of all ages are also applicable to the end of every age. <clears throat> yeah, I would say that's like, fair. You will, you will find at the end of every age similarities to the end of all ages. Of course, so my, my own, um, quote, um, what I personally think is that we are in the dress rehearsal for the actual end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I have no idea whether, you know, when people, when I say, oh, Bergoglio is probably the herald of the Antichrist, that doesn't mean that I think the end times and the second coming will happen necessarily in my lifetime. It might be a thousand years from now. I have no idea. I honestly... Now, I know that the pro one of the things I mentioned to you was about this whole millennialism stuff, which, you know, there are people that have read the Bible and say, oh, well, they're saying that Satan is going to be locked up for a thousand years and whatever. Now, my baby, look, at I don't care about that stuff. I honestly don't. But my, like, three seconds of attention that I gave to that makes me think that the year 2033 is going to be pretty significant. It's very interesting because there are three different points. It's only three data points, but Vox came to the conclusion of 2033. I don't know exactly how, but I know that it came to that number based on reading the Bible in some way or other. Um, I thought it was actually because currencies have like a, a specific lifetime, and 2033 is 70 to 80 years after uh, the USA went off the gold standard. I think that's his, possibly, uh, or this but, part of his reason. But the thing is that he, I know he's, he's written on his blog somewhere that he's done certain investments based on reading the Bible and figuring out what the Bible was basically saying about certain things. And that might be one of them. I don't know. But the other thing is that uh, the way I calculate it, it's like, oh, well, so wait, there's a thousand years of kind of glory. 
then Satan gets released for a thousand years, and then you've got the end times. Now, Christ died at age 33, thousand plus a thousand, 2033. Kind of makes sense. Yeah. And there's another data point, which is a book written by a guy called Peter Lemesurier, which was a math-type genius guy. He also wrote a book of Nostradamus, which I don't think much of. But the, the book that he wrote called The Great Pyramid Decoded, which I talk about in The Face on Mars, and he reckons not only that the great, I mean, he shows you all the relationships between the size of the pyramid, the location, the true north, you know, how it's orientated to true north, the impossibility of that having been built by guys with copper saws, and he gets into really the details. But one of the things that he says, he reckons that because the Great Pyramid is so emblematic of the planet Earth, there are many different concepts in its measurements that refer to the dimensions of earth even the solar system and so on so because it's such a obviously built knowing these things um, he somehow fathoms that there is a way to interpret history using some of these measurements and he comes up with a number 2033 for the second coming which or, or rather the beginning of the second coming and then i think he goes on to 2085 or something like that i don't remember the details of that because i wasn't really interested in that aspect of it um, and he's not coming at it from a religious point of view. He's purely sort of a, one of these autistic maths guys, I think, who reckons that's what it is. So it's kind of interesting because, you know, it's three completely different things that come to the same number with no relationship between them. So I don't know. I think 2033 might be quite an interesting year anyway. Yeah. I honestly don't know what to say to that, but... Um... I mean, when, when I was thinking of the whole, um, like, 1,000 years, yeah. again, like the, the baby baby level, you know, just off the top of your head, yeah. I would actually go to, like, take the Protestant Reformation, count 1,000 years backwards, yeah. that was the 1,000 years of glory. Yeah. Then, you know, count the 1,000 years after the, the Protestant Reformation, and you have the uh, 1,000 years under the devil. Yeah. That's... Makes sense. And, and the thing, the, the point I'm actually getting at is that I think the, the, the Jesus' declaration that um, no one is given to know the time of the end is actually a very, um, it's, it's, it's a serious declaration. It's not something um, like the actual time of the end where all of creation you know, will be as I think some of the uh, some um, Catholic saints have put it up, like will be opened up as a scroll, yeah. examined by God, and then closed. Yes. And a new scroll will be written. Yes. I can only the people who are written in the Book of the Lamb get transcribed into the new scroll. Yeah. As it were. Indeed. Yes. That's 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 one of the deeper mysteries of existence, and the thing is. What I was trying to sort of dance around was um, there's the whole quantum thing of um, you know time events in time are like waves. Yes, 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 absolutely. And the thing is, these like an event like the end of time is probably like a tsunami as far as um, waves go. And again, thinking about quantum wave collapsing, yeah. So it's a it's a collapsed quantum wave. Yeah, it's a tsunami of quantum wave collapsation, if you want to call it that. All quantum waves end there. Yeah. There's no propagation beyond that point. 
Well, so, possibly in the next book or next chapter or whatever. Maybe. So the weirdest I'm thinking of it is that events like the end of all things or the birth of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, and, and events of that sort, by necessity, they echo through time. So the nature of the end of all time shows itself in smaller ways in the end of smaller times, as it were. Mm. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. So, yes, it, it is. Well, you know, like they say, history repeats itself, doesn't it? So, And there is definitely a resonance. It's like a... It's not, it's not a closed circle, no, it's a spiral. It's a spiral. And I'm not yeah. sure if the spiral is going outwards or inwards. Uh, yeah. yeah. But if you just you know draw a line across the spiral, yeah. you will find all sorts of communalities across the line. Yeah. Even though you're on different like yes. levels of the spiral. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's like a refrain, I think might be. Yeah, if you go to music. Yeah. Um I don't know. Well, there's not much there's not much to uh, continue on this line of thought. Yeah. So, I want to go go a bit more to um quote uh, like I suppose you could say Catholic dogma or doctrine when it comes to the end times. Yes, please. But we'll have to actually hold that thought because the vodka runs out. Okay, good. And I'm going to try and answer a few quick questions that I've written down while while you do that. So, uh, Chris Gove, I've already said your email I didn't get. You're going to send again. Sid K says uh, he's got a question about hypergamy and like. What about it? I mean, what what do you actually want to know? How women are? I, I, I don't understand what the question is. So if you can type it out quickly before the man comes back, um, I'll answer it. Of course, dancers with logos. We have to all say hail to the mistress of the Kurgan cult, the high priestess of the Kurgan cult. So, and uh, you know, she's she's a mom with two small children. She's making little crusaders. So that's awesome. Uh, Rakir asked about the minor orders. I believe the minor orders are, you know, still valid and in, in, in effect. Uh, I'm not sure what your question is about it. Um, I know that, for example, I've discussed this with my priest about, uh, for example, the one of the minor orders was exorcist. And, you know, the priest will tell you that only a priest can do exorcisms and only once he's been allowed to do so by the bishop and that normal people should never even begin to attempt an exorcism. All of these are church rules for the protection of people. Um, of course, you get trained to be an exorcist if you take on holy orders, but the, the point of taking on holy orders, even in the minor orders, is that you're going to complete them and become a priest. Now, some people used to do start to, on that path and then never finish it or give up on it or whatever, and they wouldn't lose necessarily the fact that they've been trained as an exorcist. Um, but, you know, it's kind of like, it's almost like you're saying to God, oh, I'm going to go to university and become one of your guys. And then it's kind of like, eh, actually, I'm going to drop out. So probably not that cool to do. Uh, the, the people that did the meta study, by the way, the name came back to me. They're called Honorton and Ferrari. Uh, I think the guys called Honorton, the surname, and Ferrari was the, the lady. And then uh, Jordan about the woman touching the cloak and sort of um, sucking up power from Jesus. I'm going to ask Bully Ram to answer that one uh, because I think he probably knows or, or he'll have a different take. I think I answered my uh, 
So just as a, as a quick one, uh, we've got a question from Jordan James, if you can see not that far back, about the woman touching Jesus' cloak. If we can just maybe quickly address that, and then we'll get back to where we are. Um, I mean, if I recall from what's written, there is something along the lines of um, that uh, Jesus could feel, as it were, grace flowing out from him. Yeah. So, like he says, Jesus temporarily lost his power if the woman touched his cloak. How can a woman have no, that effect? He didn't lose any of his power. He simply felt some, like some of his grace moving it, outwards. Yeah. So, like energy being sucked up or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's that was my answer too. It's sort of like, yeah, you can yeah, it, people that. It's important to remember that while Christ was incarnate, he willingly and intentionally limited himself. Yeah, of course. So. Granted, he was probably immensely more powerful and, and intelligent than normal human beings because he was not fallen. Yeah. That's the... And of course, and of course there's the whole intermingling of his human and divine nature, which is a mystery that, you know, once we... Well, hopefully, once we all attain heaven, you know, after our purgation, it's, it's a mystery that we will spend eons delving into. What what it actually means to intermingle humanity and God? Yeah, because this is and this is again speaking of all of the end times. Once the end times come, we will all be resurrected, and if you're on well the saved side, yeah, in a glorious body, glorious as in you will be in a fully immortal body. A body that is at once physical and transcends the laws of physics as we know them right now. Yes. So, I mean, there's not really a lot to say on the subject because it's just a bit. And also, it's a bit beyond. Of, yeah, and it, it it is part of the you know 2.0 or whatever happens after the end time. Yeah. Very much so, because I mean. One of the There's most, going to be a new earth and a new heaven. Indeed. One of the most interesting takes on that that I've heard was like, well, all of this stuff that's happening now is because God needs a bunch of guys he knows he can trust and that they can trust each other and they're not going to backstab each other. How else are you going to figure that out other than putting them yeah. through this this whole thing sort of thing? So, yeah, I think I think it's actually part of... Um, it's actually, I know you're not a big fan of him, but it's actually from... Um, I recall this from What's-His-Face, uh, C.S. Lewis. I'm, I'm, uh, I don't. I don't dislike C.S. Lewis intensely or anything. I'm just. He's a bit basic. Yeah, it's uh, that's thanks. That's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, after after you read him and convert, you should start reading Chesterton. Indeed, and <laughs> I, I, you know, one of the but, questions I have is if if I had come across Chesterton before I became any kind of a Christian, how would that have affected me? Because I I think that guy could have possibly. Led me to conversion a lot earlier. <laughs> Could be. Yeah. I know myself that um, long before my conversion, I absolutely adored his style and humor. Yeah, it's funny and, and clever. And uh, I mean, he writes a paragraph that you sort of think you read it and you're like, this guy's talking absolute nonsense. This is rubbish. Of course, he's absolutely wrong. And oh, wait, he's right. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> I've I've been listening for the last few nights, like to his um, as like the series of um, like essays called uh, Her Heretics, I think. Yeah, and then he's got the, is it Orthodox and Heresy? Yes, yeah. Orthodoxy is when he tries to explain how he converted. Yeah. Well, Heresy is where he's and 
what's re- what's really fascinating is I don't think we we're, we're in the same age as uh, as Chesterton lived in because everything he's talking about the various heretics absolutely the same it's completely the same yeah it's funny reading Chesterton and you sort of think wait this guy wrote how long ago <laughs> it seems like he's this is meant for today right now <laughs> you know he's and, and and what makes me think that even more is like look how a devout Catholic can actually, it's almost like he can see the future so clearly. And it's the same if you read the encyclicals of Pope Pius X. He wrote these things in like 1904, and I think, I don't, I don't want to lie now, I could be misremembering, but I think there's a, a line in there that it, it's not called transgenders, but it's, you know, it's whatever language they use then to sort of imply that's where we're going, you know, and he's like, how the hell did this guy see this? That's actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't recall when exactly, but at some point I reached the conclusion that um, the slippery slope is not a fallacy, it's prophecy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say that that's a given, yeah. It's just, um, it's like infinite fedoras just love, you know, pulling out the uh, slippery slope fallacy at you. As if it's some sort of authoritative way of saying your argument is wrong. Yeah. <clears throat> Again, if, if I didn't if if I had the time to it, I would actually like to sort of collect and collate like the um, refutation of the slippery slope. Well, I, I take it the other way. I take when you know when somebody's you know, when they used to say, Well, why don't you just let the gays do what they want behind closed doors? And, and we did. And they didn't stay behind closed doors. I know, I know, but that's what I mean. I, I take the, the, the sentence, the slippery slope, as being absolutely correct. In other words, if you allow that, then you're going straight to hell, sort of in a handbasket. So I take it as... No, that's the point is that there's an argument to be made to... Um, and it's actually, it's actually an argument that as Catholics we agree with, that you don't go poking your nose into someone else, some, you know, another man's house. Yeah. That's true, but, but you also don't let him parade his nonsense outside his house. Yes. Because then he gets burnt at the stake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you wave yeah, a bit more, funny. More let's more just, you know, level. let's c- come mm-hmm. collect some wood. You, you waved a bit funny. Let's get some wood, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's not a bad way to go. <laughs> you know, I've made, I've made that point in my, my latest book. I think um, I've got a passage where I basically describe, look, and it's towards the beginning, where it's like, look, Let's say that you can only choose to live in one of these two worlds, right? So in one world, uh, the Catholic world, hardcore Catholic world, um, you can have no sex before marriage. You you can't have any public displays of affection except perhaps holding hands, maybe a peck on on the cheek, that sort of thing. If you don't turn up for Sunday Mass, you get sort of shunned and treated like a leper by your neighbors. Um, you know, public drunkenness or anything like that is just seen as, you know, what kind of a sick guy are you? You know, the priest is going to come talk to you and so on. Um, Sounds pretty harsh, right? Outright homosexual gays would would have to do penance and be re-educated and and if they persist or they, God forbid, touch a child, they'll be burnt at the stake, that sort of thing. No, actually, I I left that out, the burning at the stake. So, So there's that and you could sort of think, my God, what an oppressive way to live. Or here's another world 
where your six-year-old can be going to school and be told by the teacher that he could be a girl or a boy and when he she decides that hey maybe that day he wants to be a girl then the teacher can start to inject them you know with uh, sort of uh, puberty blocking drugs based on the child's thing without even informing you perhaps or maybe your ex-wife can do that and try to force your kid to for reassignment surgery starting from age seven um, Don't forget story time with a horned transsexual exactly. and uh, playtime with a pedophilic transsexual. And then right at the end, I put the links to show, by the way, this is not theory. This has happened already. And it is happening already. And just like we don't throw kids off a building when they say, I'm Superman, because now they can fly. You know, again, when a boy says, oh, I want to be a girl or a girl says, but you, you don't chop off their bits and, and, and you know, mutilate them and so on. Uh, and yet we're living in that world already. So if I have to choose between one of these two, and those are the only two options, and that's where I said, those of you that have read this far and are thinking, I want to add burning at the stake to the other one, those are my people. <laughs> and I didn't used to think like this, but I have... There was actually seen... a point during my, uh, like the process of my conversion, yeah. which, I mean, in retrospect, was rather humorous. I was still an atheist, but I was pro-organized religion. That's very interesting. My, my position was basically something to the effect of um, <clears throat> organized religions. And I was talking mainly at the point, you know, about um, Catholicism, Orthodoxy, Judaism, um, even the more rarefied forms of Islam. Yeah. Like, these are all religions that have, you know, dogma, law. They have, they have their own internal lawyers and structures. They're civilized and reflective. Yes. When, when they encounter a mistake or problem in their dogma, they fix it. Yes. So I was like, and, I, and I, I've already, like, I've already, you know, passed the point of, you know, religion is entirely natural to the human creature and myself, you know, not having the religious instinct, I'm the odd one out. Yeah. I'm basically the, uh, the defective human. I don't have the religious instinct. See, but that, that is a very intellectual. Which turns out was wrong. Yeah. Which is, was wrong. I mean, I do have it. It was just suppressed. Yeah. But um, at the time, I was just like, okay, so if we're going to have religion, I want it to be organized yeah. and, you know, part, part of social structure. See, but that is, that is an intellectually honest position. That, that, is one of, that is the position of an honest atheist, put it that way. He's, he's in error, but he's not in error due to an emotional, you know, disjointed inability to think. Um, yeah, the there was a lot of uh, emotional discarding I had to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, do we continue to a new subject, or we just let's, no, uh, well, let's we've troll got a for few some questions, questions here that are gonna. Um, so there's Lucas A says I just opened my book to Ezekiel, and in the last chapter he lists Dan as the first tribe and what the borders of their land are. So that seems to go against. What we were talking about before that Dan being no, Dan has Dan has land. I'm talking about uh, Simon and Levi. Yeah, no, but wasn't Dan left out in Revelation? One of the tribes that was in left Revelations. Out? He's left out as one of the tribes sealed to God. He still has land on the. Uh, I mean, it's not only land. I mean, Dan also has a has a judge, right. a judge who received like God's help okay. in uh, in ridding ridding the, the Israelites of the Philistines. Yeah. We've got a question on pickup archer stuff we can skip for now. We might get back to it if we need to. 
slippery slope refutation is important as I was attempting to learn how to properly form an argument. I stumbled upon slippery slope fallacy. Uh, yeah, when, forming a proper argument is almost a lost art. And to me, that is one of the most basic tenets of being what I would consider a human being. You know, if you can't argue logically on, the, on at least a basic level, if you don't understand what axioms, premises, hypothesis, theory, conclusion, and so on are, I think uh, anything you say becomes almost irrelevant because then you're just opining and everybody's got an opinion, you know, it's not doesn't mean anything. While if you actually know how to argue properly, logically, there is, I have never had a single experience arguing with anybody, regardless of what their stance was, even if it was diametrically opposite to mine, where when both people can actually argue logically and honestly, you both come away from that with a positive experience. Regardless of who is closer to the truth, both of you learn something. I've never had a, a single instance and, and I've argued with an Orthodox Jew more recently with um, a very unique human being. He is, I think, of Nigerian origin, but of um, but but his family really comes from uh, um, oh, what's the the Caribbean side of things? Um, and um, Haiti? No, not Haiti. Uh, the one with the J. I always forget the name. I don't know. Uh, Jamaica. Jamaica. Yeah. So they're originally Nigerians transposed to Jamaica. And he's an awesome guy. He's a Buddhist. He's extremely well read. Um, and he's, I've, I've come to the conclusion, the last time I had him over at my house, we had this really interesting conversation. And I came to the conclusion that basically he was a Buddhist because he is misinterpreted, being, let's say, miseducated about Christianity, which all of us have been because we've been deceived for the last 80 years or whatever it is. Um, and we got just to the point where we're starting to touch and this robot's like, yeah, yeah. And then he had to go and I was like, ah, oh, shit, man, you got to come back, you know? Um, so, yeah. It, um, conversations with people like that can generally just be resumed from, you know, the point of stop. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But my point was, it really doesn't matter what the other person's initial starting point is. If you can both do logic and you're both intellectually honest, you will learn something, you know, whether one of you is closer to the truth or not, whether you're both off, you know, it's it's a, it's an absolutely positive thing. And I relate it very much to honest sparring. It doesn't really matter your levels. If you're sparring honestly with another person and you're much better than them, you will obviously, you know, hold your position, but you will learn from teaching them. And if you're equal, you will learn from having to deflect whatever they're throwing at you, sort of thing. So it's a, it's a very um, the, the the Japanese call training like that. Like they've got like a sentence for it that basically means pushing each other up a mountain. Because as I bash you, you know, you go step up, and then you bash me, and, and that's how you push each other up a mountain. It's a very um, like steel sharpening steel. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's quickly maybe go through. Is hypergamy only a feminine thing? Don't men also choose the highest value female in a similar manner? There's a, a guy who's responded quickly to that. Men are polygamous in that they want a bunch of women at once. Females only want one single man of the highest value. Most females do not find multiple men attractive at once. They want the most dominant partner. A fair sort of summary. Um, what I wanted to say about the whole um, hypergamy thing is 
It's not about seeking the highest value uh, mate. Women seek the highest value, um, like social. They, like, put it this way: a woman from, uh, let's say, put it, um, social stat like uh, strata B, yeah, will be looking at men from social strata A and dreaming about men from socials, you know, strata A plus. Absolutely right. It's a it's a it's a matter of social and economic ranking. I think while a man is looking for a high value female, regardless of her social location. Indeed, he wants a woman who's pretty, fertile, feminine, etc., etc., etc. Exactly right. And I think, uh, and I, I don't know if it was Chris Rock, some comedian, that said, "Look, women don't go backwards economically. So if she's had a boyfriend with a Porsche and a, and a villa." Uh, you've got to have two Porsches and a bigger villa. That's it. Otherwise, no chance. And so and men don't go backwards sexually. So if he's had girlfriends that bend in all sorts of ways, well, girl, you better get up to you know be able to do all that stuff because yeah, once we've experienced it once, we're not gonna go back. <laughs> There's some truth to that. It's quite quite interesting. And you're absolutely right. Also, that you know a guy doesn't care. If the woman that he ends up with is like a waitress, as long as she's hot and smart, makes him, you know, funny, whatever, good in bed, sexy, and and that all his friends think, man, how did you get with her? She could be unemployed and unemployable. And he'd be like, I couldn't care less. Uh, what? Yeah, I've got money. Here, spend some. <laughs> you know, um, you're absolutely right in your description. So I hope that answers his question. It's just it's just important not to equivocate what men and women are looking for in each other. Yeah. Oh, it's again another comedian, uh, uh, the, the Scottish guy. What's his name? Uh, Bill. Oh, I forgot his name. But he basically says so. Apparently, uh, women need to feel love to have sex with somebody, and men need to have sex in order to fall in love with someone. So basically. The relationship begins with a lie from one of you. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> sort of, again, a, a bit reductionist, but you know, you get, you know, <laughs> get the point. It's actually, I don't know if it happens in all the times, but there's like, I recall, um, I mean, this goes back to the Bible. Um, it says there when Isaac, you know, meets Rebecca, that he takes her in to his tent, he knows her, and then he loves her. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that is true. I mean, as a man, you know, you can think this or that of a woman, but it's only after you know her. And yes, I, you know, I know in the Bible they use knowing as a um, also the. Oh, absolutely. It's, the that's oh, that reminds me. That's actually something I wanted to talk about. Just a little nugget. Yeah. Um, like one of the reasons that, um, like one of the many reasons priests should be celibate. So in the Bible, eating bread is a euphemism for sex. Yeah. Yes, it is. And and the whole priesthood, yeah, yeah, basically that, exactly right. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you can't, I don't know you how can't many people get basic than that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how many people get that here in this chat. Maybe you can expand on it a little bit just for the benefit of those that don't understand All right. that, um, the, the, the Holy you know, Communion and so on. So in Communion, okay, so in Communion, you are eating bread that is transformed into the flesh and blood of Christ. Yeah. Now, the point is that uh, the Bible treats eating as something fundamental. It's not a, um, 
like eating is not some something that's uh, unimportant or something you gloss over. You will see that the Bible like takes note of eating. Just as an example, yeah. when uh, Abraham is meeting, is basically having a uh, three-person revelation of God. Yes. He feeds God. Yeah. Well, there's also always the whole point of sacrificing animals and all that. It's food, really, isn't it? Indeed. I mean, with, with the exception, with some very specific exceptions, most sacrifices, only a small portion is taken to the altar, and the rest is eaten by the man bringing the sacrifice. Yeah. So you already see in the Old Testament the, um, like the, the prefigurement of the like the layman eating the sacrifice. Yes. In the in the Jewish temple, it was the opposite. When you made a sacrifice, the priest, like the the altar, got like a bit of a fat, a bit of fat, and the priest got like you know, got like the cheek and like a, a bit of the arm. Yeah. But the rest goes to the man bringing the sacrifice. Yeah. So you already see here a like a prefigurement of the laity getting like the lion's share of the sacrifice, as it were. And not just that, but the priest had to go through a ritual, I think, of three days of no sex and like of purification before. Basically, what the the priestly tribe had a bunch of families, so the, and the families would rotate yeah. through duty on the temple, and while they were on duty in the temple, no sex, no drugs, no no alcohol. Yeah. Basically, you're basically like on shift yeah. for thirty days, and you're basically like sixteen hours on. Eight hours rest, and then you're back in the temple. Yeah. It was. It, it was. If you if you actually go through, um, I think in English it's Leviticus, and you read what the priests are supposed to do in the temple, it's a grueling discipline. Yeah. Well, you know, that's. Um, I want to come back to this. You know, I, I was gonna sort of ignore the hypergamy question, but actually, on reading now, I'm getting the sense that. You know, there are a lot of guys that need a bit of help with with um, finding a partner, whatever. So I don't want to necessarily dismiss this kind of stuff. And it's just because I'm a bit jaded about it or whatever. But, um, you know, some guys just he's just asking a question. And I think, you know, maybe he needs a bit of help. So he's um, he's made another comment saying, so essentially she will cheat on her man if she regards him as a schlub until she finds the actual man who's worthy of her respect. There's another very important point that the, the high priestess of the Kurgan cult, um, Dancers with Logos, says, hashtag not all women. Now, I'd like Dilo to answer this if she can, if you're able. Um, I know why she said that, I think. Um, there are indeed women that don't care at all about what you would call the normal social status of you know, the rich, financial, successful guy with a big house, a big car, money, blah, blah, blah. For example, in my per personal subculture of um, warrior explorers, <laughs> the women tend to think like, I don't give a crap about the guy with the, with the Porsche and the three villas and the 80-foot yacht. Because this guy right here, who's got, you know, one pair of pants, a knife, and some dirty shoes, and two t-shirts, this guy will kill people that irritate me. He will murder a slew of people to protect his kids. This guy, he won't take shit from anybody. And 
that's a different kind of status. Um, it's the same kind of status that I've seen a lot throughout my life in, in the dojo. You know, you go into the gym and it's like there's a guy up there. He's like a captain of industry and whatever. He steps on the dojo floor and he's nobody. And the like guy who can barely make rent and is almost homeless in the dojo floor is like, that's his place, man. He'll fight till he not gets knocked out or is dead. You know, it's a different sort of status. So some women respond to that kind of, um, it's still a form of status. You know, it's like, you just like killers more than you like rich guys or whatever, you know, but there's still that balance. And it's not really... It's a cave, it's a cave woman. Yeah, well, it, it's... You know, it's also why that you know the whole bad boy thing. What is the bad boy thing? The bad boy thing is a guy who doesn't care so much about social rules and will do what he wants. And doing what he wants, even if he breaks the law, is still kind of like in appearance form can appear as though he is dominant. Many times, guys who do that sort of stuff have got big issues <laughs> that they haven't dealt with. But you know, that everybody gets fooled, right? Just like the pretty woman that you think mm -hmm. is so cool and sexy ends to up. To some degree, I think that this sort of woman is she's basically a cut above. I I agree with you. I I would definitely choose a woman that chooses a guy due to what I call in a vernacular whether a man has a pair of balls or not of his own. And a woman that chooses a guy like that, I think, is a much higher quality woman than somebody who chooses based on you know money power blah 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 again because power is relative you know the, the homeless guy you know it's the pizza boy theory that my brother and i came up with many years ago which is like be nice to everybody because you could be a mafia don that's can you know have whole cities wiped out but if you're rude to the pizza boy in a in, in the pizza restaurant where you eat all the time and they've got a new pizza boy and you're like hey you dirty little fucker come over here and give me my food and he's like uh, I've got a fork and I'm going to stab you in the eye because fuck you. I don't care who you are. You know, it's like be nice to everyone. It's the same concept of the samurai. The samurai referred to, you know, like my name, they would say Filoto San. San was a, a respective denomination of like sir, let's say. And they call everybody that, although it was a denominative that was essentially used for samurai, warrior class people, because after the samurai thing got destroyed by the Westerners or whatever, it's like, well, shit, I don't know if he is or isn't. And I'd rather make the mistake of calling a guy who isn't one than calling a guy who is not one because then he's going to eat my head, you know, even though there's no samurais anymore. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's kind of the same thing. And again, you know, a Bill Gates or whatever, you know, if you piss off one of those guys, if you do something that affects their family, their life, it doesn't matter. You could be Donald Trump. You piss off one of those guys enough, he's going to take you out because he's the kind of guy that will spend all his money just to get like a nice big bomb vest and, and a drone that can carry him, you know, whatever. And he's going to head straight for the White House, you know. So it doesn't matter how powerful you are. Don't fuck with those people. Leave them alone, you know. So th there is a status in that. To, um, just, to, just to conclude the thought. So just like you have... Um, you have you have like um you, you have men who are called warrior cased. Yeah. I think you have women who are warrior cased. I agree, absolutely, yes. And those those women are more attracted to call it um, combative men. Just I mean, as an example, the only example I can think of from the top of my head, there's actually two that I can think of from the top of my head. One is a woman 
she's, she's married to a friend of mine, and she is, um, just to put things in context, she's an ex-Olympian-level um, gymnast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she married a guy who's basically a... Um, He's he's basically like you would say like a uh, he's he's just a, he's like a uh, what's the expression for a man of many talents like a oh, yeah. Renaissance man I know what you mean uh, like a Renaissance man type thing yeah, yeah. Um, sort of oh, so that's that's the sort of man she decided she married that is and he's not physically he's not physically imposing he's not rich yeah but he's highly intelligent Polymath. highly educated highly competent. Polymath, I think. Yeah, so that sort of man. Yeah. And the, the other woman I can think of is a Space Bunny. Yes. I mean, I've never met her, yeah. but... The Space Bunny is... Because, um, you know, she definitely voices her opinion. She's not shy about telling you what she thinks oh, uh, on any... This, this sort of woman is not shy. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's very interesting, the dynamic between Vox and his wife. And I don't want to, you know, say too much about that, but um, yeah, no, we, we've had. Yeah, it was private, a, private. Yeah, no, we've had a dinner with them a couple of times, and you know, it's uh, it, it is quite interesting. And um, my my wife, you know, being English, sort of offended Space Bunny for you know inadvertently, because um, and and she absolutely didn't mean it. And I, I I saw it happening, and I was like, no, 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 wait, you've all had a bit too much champagne. This is what she meant, <laughs> because. <laughs> Because my, you know, they were talking about different body, you know, I don't know, women, you know, talking about, I was kind of talking to Vox about space satellites and how they do the GPS. And so I was only half listening to what was going on on the other side of the table. But, um, I, I think they were comparing body types and, you know, how good they look or I don't, I don't know what it was. And my wife said to Space Bunny as a compliment saying, well, you know, you've got a very athletic body, you know. And in the American sense, athletic means you're a nervy, you know, flat-chested, uh, no-ass kind of woman. Um, but that's absolutely, I know my wife, that's not, it's absolutely the opposite of what she meant. She meant like you're really fit, good-looking, you know, nice body. And Space Bunny goes like, oh, thank you. You know, as in the sarcastic <laughs> thank you. And I was like, whoa, 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 hold up. This is what she meant. This is how you interpreted it. That's not what happened. <laughs> it was just... But but the, the cool thing about her was she didn't actually get offended. You know, she just kind of like, oh, you bitch, sort of thing. You know, like she didn't say that. She didn't, you know. But, but it was like her ego didn't get impacted in any way by that sort of thing, you know. And, yeah. Just and just to, just to summarize this whole thing, uh, to the guy who was asking about women. Yeah. If you ever try to pursue a warrior woman, be bloody sure that you are a warrior. Oh yeah. Because otherwise, she will eat you without salt. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think not even eat her, just chew you up and spit you out, sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not even going to get the pleasure of being eaten. Just uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. In Malachi 1, there is a mention of pure offering that will be brought to Lord among nations. That had to be controversial by Jews of that time. I am sorry, but I have no idea what you're talking about. Yes, the, 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 point, the point he's trying to make is, um, and this, this is probably where the, um, 
And I think this is where the Pharisees basically like interjected themselves. Because if you look at the prophets, especially the later prophets, the revelation God gives his people becomes more and more universal. Yeah. Like yeah. At, some, at some point he says, my house will be a place of worship for all people. Yeah. You know, I don't recall where that's from. The, the, the point is that um, even, even if you start, uh, actually, forget all that, but yes, the point is that the prophets at some point start talking about um, universal revelation. Yeah. And yeah. that's, I mean, yeah. and, and I Jesus that. is the man who came to make that a reality. Yeah, well, I guess the Pharisees didn't like that, so it was controversial. Ooh, no. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, I think I think it shows us that it was controversial. <laughs> very much. Uh, I mean, it, it, was, it actually it goes it goes back to the very beginning when Abraham has his name changed to Abraham. Okay. It's the change. It's the change because Abraham yeah. is high father. Okay. And it says there very much in the text itself that God changes his name to Avraham to father of many nations. Ah, I didn't know that. See, I learned something new every time I speak with you. So this is this is one of the earliest prophecies about God's true worship extending to all of humanity. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Louis Fr. I think probably sarcastically says, "Be nice to everyone except if they're Protestants." No, no, you got it wrong. As Catholics, we are equally rude and um, and dismissive of anyone who is not absolutely Catholic, and even with the other Catholics, if they are not proper Catholics, uh, you beat them up even worse. You know, you you metaphorically beat them up. And that says with Logo says, my husband is the same way. Nice, true meaning of meek. Capable of killing, but knows how to be stoic and when to do what. Yep. See, that that is a different kind of power. And in my personal experience, because those are my cast of people, I like those guys a lot more than... You know, I've met billionaires. I've worked for billionaires. I've had billionaires contact me to work for them again and turn them down. Because... You know, the, the way I see it is like, you know, the hierarchy of power. People say money. Uh, well, more than money, gold. And my comment is like real power, when you really get to it, is actually lead, copper jacketed, traveling at about 3,000 feet per second. That's power when it comes down to it. You know, the gold, the money, all the other stuff. And the ability to pull that trigger is power. You know, because again, you know, the, the in the world I'm talking about, right? I'm talking in the world. Remember that we're living in the world. We're not of it, but we live here. And you need guys that have that kind of ability because if you didn't, there would be no Christendom. Yes, we need the martyrs. Yes, we need the monks. Yes, we need the scholars. We need the high thinkers. We need all that. But you also need a brute with a sword that says, I believe in Jesus and I'm going to kill and die for it. And you're not getting past. You need those guys too. And wherever the priest tells me is a heathen, Yep. Uh, you know, I love that He's scene. getting healed. I, I love that scene uh, with uh, Mel Gibson in um, Once We Were Warriors or something, the film. I don't know if you've seen it. And you know, Mel Gibson is a set of a cantist. Um, really? Yeah, he is. And his father was. And his father railed on about the Vatican II for years and years. 
and Mel Gibson, I believe, he's actually even funded a little chapel near where he lives or whatever. Uh, he's absolutely a full-on fuck Vatican II um, set of acantist or set of probationist, whatever you want to call it. But um, that's why if you look at his films, Apocalypto, it's brilliant. I didn't even know that he'd done that until I got to the end of it because when I was 16 or so, I read The Conquistadors by Hammond Eines, brilliant book. Um, I was, you know, really fascinated with this history. I knew everything about the Aztecs and the Mayans, the rituals they had, the cruelty they had, the sports they had, which often involved killing their slaves and so on. Apocalypto is historically absolutely brilliant piece of historical accurate work. And I'm not going to spoil the film for you, but I'm just going to say the whole film is not about what you think it is, and, and you get right to the last scene, and at the last scene, you sort of go, oh, fuck, that's, ooh. So... I don't particularly like movies, but... This movie... At your recommendation, I actually watched, uh, was it Man, Man, and Professor? Yeah. And even though you would think that the subject of a movie about making a dictionary... Yeah. You'd think that something like that is utterly boring and dull and... Uh, isn't it such a good movie? I was spellbound. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a brilliant film. Apocalypto is the same. Don't don't get put off by what you think it's about. Just watch that right to the end. Because right at the end, it's like, bam! <laughs> it's like, oh! <laughs> brilliant right. film. And because Mel Gibson is, is a hardcore Catholic, I know he divorced, and then he had that Russian girl that like put all his stuff on the internet, whatever. Dude, we're all, complicated. we're all sinners, and I know about the kind of sins that Mel got into probably more than he does. So, you know, but uh, put that aside, you know, he produced a lot of these films, and the one we were, I think it's called We Were Warriors or We Were Once War, something like that. There's a scene where there's one of his like officers is like just had a baby and he's praying you know he's like in church and he's like shit i'm gonna go to war maybe i'll die and i won't see my baby you know whatever and he's basically praying there and the guy goes there and prays with him and, and, the, and the guy says you know I'll, i'm scared you know like what if the other guys die what if men under my command die and whatever and mel sort of gives him a bit of a pep talk and then you know he's praying let's pray together and he says you know please lord protect us in our fight and and so on uh, and then right at the end, they're about to leave, and then he goes, oh, and Lord, one more thing about our enemies, they'll also pray. Ignore their hidden prayers and let us kill all the little bastards. <laughs> Gets up and goes. <laughs> That's exactly what a Catholic is like. A Catholic warrior, okay. they're like that. You know. Give me one moment. I have to read the segment that's called uh, War Anointed Priest. Okay. Yeah, I just yeah. need to find it in English. Sure. Yeah, Sid K, you've got some issues, dude, just from what you're writing here. Does a man called approach or rather make himself the best version of himself, expose himself to the world and wait for the right woman to come along in this insane world? And then he says, masochistic women, LOL. So, we know you're not warrior cast, just from this little thing. 
We know that you think if you make yourself the best version of yourself, uh, women will come to you like moths. That's a myth. doesn't work that way. Uh, here's the concept. How about you make yourself the best version of yourself that you can be for you? That's where you start. Forget about women. You're not at the level where you need to think about that, really. Make yourself the best version of you, whatever that means to you. If that means having the Porsche, go for the Porsche. If that means, you know, being a guy that, I don't know, has got three black belts in three different martial arts and can kick ass, then do that. I sincerely doubt you're one of those. And if you're just a guy that needs to have a steady job and a steady house and able to support his family, then become that. Once you are who you're supposed to, and again, if you need to look at Vox's hierarchy of men, have a quick read, try and figure out where you fall in, and don't try and bullshit yourself about what you are or not. So become the best version of you that you can be. And then you don't sit there and wait, dude. You go out and hunt. Men hunt. Women, if they want to have sex, a boyfriend or a husband, all they got to do is say, ah, uh, you, pretty much. Guys, got to work for it. So, you know, that's my advice. I'm not sure where, how to find this specific uh, segment, but so I'll just um, translate it extempor extemporaneously. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Whatever. Okay, so as you go to war on your enemy and you see a horse and a chariot and a, and a people mightier than you, do not fear them. Because God, who, uh, who extracted you from the land of Egypt, and as it comes and the war is near to you, and the priest comes close and speaks to the people, and he says to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are near to war on your enemies. Do not fear. Let not your heart be troubled. Do not as it go, uh, so do not retreat because God, your God, walks with you to fight with you, with your enemies, and to save you. I would add one it's a very sorry, mm -hmm. go on, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go for it. It's just, it's, it's a very short segment, um, and it comes, um, like set, like a sandwiched in. There's a whole part where it comes to a war, which is basically called a voluntary war. Yeah. Where the uh, like the officers go into the people and tell them, whoever is fearful, whoever has you know um, you know married married a new wife, um, uh, they call it um, he has a new field, etc. They talk to all the people like if you have anything on your mind that will distract you from war. Stay home. Yeah. Everyone else, come with us. I think, I don't remember if it's in the Iliad or whatever, the way the Greeks put it back then, was if you go into battle with bad blood, you'll spill some of it. <laughs> like, yeah. going go in the fight thinking about the fight. Because if you go in the fight thinking about some other stuff, you're going to bleed. <laughs> you know? yeah. mm -hmm. And the thing is, and... Once, once the once the officers you know, like comb through the people and take all the people who have no obligations and they have nothing on their mind, like except for let's go to war. Yeah. That's when the priest comes and he talks to them and gets their like yeah. like steals their resolve with God's word. Yeah. 
you know, there's also very powerful, I think that's part of the reason this whole pandemic is to separate people and whatever, because, um, and I know this from training, again, one guy in a training class can change the mood of that whole class. If he's like, bam, 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 and everybody starts to follow him, even though you're not even moving from your position, it's, it's really interesting. And it, it creates a sort of like, you know, that 300 feeling from the film, again, when there's like, adders raining down on them and they're all like under their shields and they're kind of laughing they're like this is cool you know it's like you think what kind of psychotic insane people but no you know if you've been in that situation you know what it means it's like it doesn't matter there's a thousand of them we're us there's like five of us yeah there's only a thousand of them you know and it's a it's such a powerful force that um so it's really important you know and again catholic community does this having the sacraments together does this and, and you, you get that bond even between people that are different caste systems and they will support each other. You know, if you're not a warrior type, you'll be the kind of guy that says, well, I'm not a warrior type, but I can peel potatoes so I can feel you, feed you guys while you're going out to war. You know, that there's that sort of... Music. That's an interesting thing that the whole um, part, like the whole segment, like the Bible is not shy about um, beating over the head someone who has sinned or made a mistake. Yeah, oh no. But when it comes to the people, like when it comes to like winnowing out the warriors from the people, yeah. there's no condemnation to the people who decide to stay behind. Absolutely not. There should not be. They're villagers. They're not warriors. Yeah. And it's just, are you newly wed? Yeah. Did you just, you know, did you just, did you newly plow your land? It's like, it's really like, it's like villager concerns. Like if these things concern you and weigh in your mind, yeah. stay home. I had a really interesting... Uh, revelation if you like when i was in my late 20s yeah i think late 20s i was working as a armed bodyguard in south africa and uh, you know my girlfriend was indian and her brother who just turned 18 i think and uh and i was working for these scumbag jews or orthodox jews and man i, I won't keep these guys were just as depraved as they come and you know it was just they were scum they were robbing their own people they were actually those kind of jews that rob the other jews because they're like oh we give you 10 percent interest a month and, and it's a ponzi scheme and then once they've got all the money they, poof, they disappeared back to israel you know it was just like i mean i realized who they were pretty early on and i said look I don't want to know shit about your business. I don't want to know jack shit. I'm doing a job. That's it. And then as I kept doing this, like this this kid, you know, essentially my, my girlfriend's brother kept asking, you know, he'd ask me questions about it. He was like, okay, so you were a girl. What do you do for this guy? And I'm like, whatever, you know. And it's like, but what do they do? And I'm like, ah, dodgy shit. I don't know. And I don't want to know. And then he, he like said to me, but then, so these guys are not cool guys. And I'm like, No. And he goes, but then, you know, why do you do it? Is it the, you do it for the money? And I got offended. You know, when he said, you do it for the money, I was like, fuck are you talking about? I don't give a fuck about the money. And you're like, but, but then, oh, and he looked at me and he goes, oh, no, sorry, I get it now. You do it because of the, the king. And I lost my shit, you know. I, I mean, I didn't lose my shit and start shouting at him or anything, but I was like, what the fuck is it? I was like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? That guy's not a king, he's a fucking... And before I could continue, he said, no, 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 you got it wrong. That guy is not a king. Of course not. He's a villager. I'm saying the king is telling you, you have to do your job. And I was like, what the fuck? This guy's 18 and he's a Hindu. How did he come up with this? Like, 
says, that's just what you are. Your job is to protect the villagers. So the king has told you to do that. That's why you're doing it. Even if the village is a piece of shit, he's still a villager, so you're going to do it. I was like, huh. Shortly after that, I thought, you know what? He's right. And I don't have to protect asshole villagers. <laughs> you know, so bye. I'm done with you guys. Because <laughs> he's right. I, there, is my, there is an absolute sense of duty, and I feel duty bound to do it. But but this guy's a piece of shit. You know, I'm not going to do it for him. <laughs> Fuck him. <laughs> and what convinced me was when I was at this guy's house and this guy's dad told his daughter, who was just talking to me across the table, not, you know, it's not like she was throwing her panties at me or anything, in French, which I understood, oh, stop talking to Italian, make yourself useful and go in the kitchen and clean up or something. And I was like, really? She was just being polite, dude. But because I'm not a Jew... You know what? If a guy comes through that door with a machete, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure that I'll get in front of the of, of your daughter. But you, fuck you. <laughs> you can get a bullet yourself. You can stop your own. <laughs> and after that, I didn't yeah. work for them anymore. There's... Speaking, speaking specifically of my people, it's just there really seems to be a case yeah. of just... Just, just a synagogue of serpents. I have, I have no, I don't have a better yeah. description for them. But you see, that's the thing. Like people, they, they misunderstand who Jews are. Because if you're talking about pre-Jesus Jews, we call them Jews. All those guys that were actual Jews became Christians after Jesus. And the ones who didn't, they're the Pharisees, which we now call Jews. But they're... Like I don't think the, the I don't think the separation is that clean. I think that some of the Jews got fooled by the Pharisees. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, the same like I call the Novus Orkins. Billion, probably more than a billion people got fooled by them. But in my mind, you're not a Catholic, dude. Whether you're fooled, whether you're intentionally a Novus Orko, you're a Novus Orko. You're a Churchian at best. You're, you're definitely not a Catholic. You are a fooled churchian. It's maybe not your fault, you know, except that well, you don't give a crap enough to figure out about supposedly the most important aspect of your life because if you believe in God, then surely God needs to be the primary thing in your life that you know something about. And you can't be bothered to even read up on church history and find out what being a Catholic is about and why it was different 200 years ago than it is now. Well, maybe you got some responsibility there too, you know, but... I don't, I don't hold it against those people. I'm sure there are priests or fake priests that think they're Catholic, but they're not. Um, so I'm not necessarily judging the so-called Pharisees or the modern Jews or whatever, because you got lied to. You know, we, we live under a dominion of lies. So it's quite natural that a lot of people get fooled. Um, yeah. And I think this is actually a good opening to uh, return to the overall subject of yeah. our um, yep. of the stream. Yeah. which is prophecies and end times. And I actually also want to um, answer here a question by Unseen11. So he's asking about the whole uh, whether moving the um, capital of Israel to Jerusalem is in some way bad to Christians. Oh, yes, I saw that. Now, Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. Now, yeah. So here's one of the things about Israel is that we have a very uh, weird legal structure because uh -huh. we have some... We have like um, like 
the basic structure is um, the old British mandatory legal system. Yeah. Sorry. With amendments from the, uh, actually from the Turkish law, when Israel was still like, um, like certain like uh, land laws and stuff like that is actually still regulated by um, laws dating back to the um, to the Turkish Sultanate. Okay. And religious and marriage laws are still medi- mediated by religious institutions. So if you are a Christian in Israel, you need to be married by a Christian minister of your faith if you're Jewish, same, etc., etc. Oh. So the legal structure in Israel is really weird. And yeah. And as things go, uh, as far as um, the situation of Christians, specifically here in Jerusalem, there are various Jewish NGOs basically buying church lands from under like Christian um, communities within Israel. I think, I think the, um, uh, how do you call them? I know that I know that the Greek, I think the Greek Orthodox and the um, uh, Russian Orthodox have lost land that was basically just bought from under them by Jewish NGOs, basically trying to reclaim the holy city to themselves. So the situation in Jerusalem is troublesome, to put it mildly. Yeah. Um, there was a question actually earlier, which I want to refer to, which is, I think is important. Um, where was it? I don't recall the exact of the question, but it was referring to the whole, um, Israel whoring after, um, well, strange gods. Oh yeah. So there's a reference. Hosea, is it? Like when, whenever Israel um, strays and doesn't worship God properly, yeah. we're called whores. Yeah, there is a story in, in the Old Testament of, is it Hosea, I think, where the, I can't remember if Hosea was the name of the man or the woman that she keeps whoring around and he keeps going after her. Specifically, specifically here, Ezekiel was instructed to marry a whorish woman. There you go, that's it. And enact in his life the relationship God has with Israel. It's a tough one. Which I mean, been there. It's a hor- it's a it's a it's a horrifying commandment. It is. <laughs> no, he, he is commanded to marry a Horish woman and raise her children, even though he knows that the children are his own. Yeah, being a prophet to God is not not an easy job. But anyway, the point I was trying to get I'm going I want to get it is this. There's the whole um whore of Babylon presented in the in Revelation. Yeah. And I was actually thinking about this, and like again, in, in everything when it comes to scripture, there are more than there's more than one level. Yeah, huge number of levels. So at base level, whenever Israel strays from worshiping God exclusively, we are called whores. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about old Israel, I think it also applies to new Israel, to the Christians. Whenever you stray from worshiping God, you are basically a whore. And here's the interesting thing, whore of Babylon. So you're turning to Babel. And the, um, like, 
the, the, the two prominent sins I can think of that are related to Babel is one, building the tower yeah. and exiling Israel from their land and temple. Yeah. So if you cast it into what's currently going on, yeah. the whore of Babel shown in Revelation is basically any Christian who is disloyal to God and adheres to the, uh, we'll call it, um, intermixing of all nations under one banner. Yeah. And the humanism under religion. As that. And on the other hand, you also have um, whoever engendered and um, enabled the takeover of the Vatican. So whoever, whoever basically exiled the loyal priesthood from Rome, those, as far as I can see, those are the two um, yeah. sides of the horror of Babylon. Well, the, 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 the infiltration of the church was absolutely conscious, intentional, planned by Freemasons, mm -hmm. which are essentially Satanists. You know, Freemason is just I mean, another it's, word for Satanists. I mean, it's, it's Freemasons and, uh, what should we call them, uh, Communists. Yeah, but led, but, led but by Bolshevik Jews. Yes, from, but uh, it actually communi both communism and Freemasonry are actually essentially Jewish doctrines, if you want to call them that. But there's a lot of uh, Judaic, and, and when I say Judaic in this sense, I mean Pharisaic um, stuff in Freemasonry. Um, especially if you if you look back to the earlier books that spoke about Freemasonry and people that had like revealed some of the stuff that's involved there and whatever. There's a lot of Jewish symbolism. There's Jewish words and Jewish half prayers that they use in their various um, um, rituals. And what have you. The Masons, the Masons basically, um, which is, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a common state of, uh, of evil. Yeah. They basically claim uh, King Solomon as their um, like founder, I, see, King Solomon is an interesting guy because he was supposed to be this cool, wise, super dude, whatever. But he wrote Ecclesiastes, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, and the Song of Songs and Proverbs, right? But and and those other ones are pretty cool. But Ecclesiastes to me is like, what a depressing motherfucker, dude. I mean, you got 300 concubines, wives, the riches of the world, and you're there bitching about everything is just shit under the sun. I mean, there's one guy that I spoke about with that says, look, the interpretation is like, even if you are the guy that's got all that stuff, when it's all said and done, it's just stuff and, you know, you're still just a man. So that's the positive spin on it that you could have. But in my mind, it's like this is just a, I've had a long ass online argument recently about Hemingway being a great writer. I'm like, Hemingway was fucking pathetic. The way that Hemingway writes and the reason that people thought he was a genius was because he just ignored the rules of grammar. I was doing that at age 16. I could write the way that Hemingway writes when I was in my teens. And as for his stories, they're mediocre. And, and then what they fell back on is like, but he writes manly men. And I'm like, no, he doesn't. He writes about manly men that have got his personality. So they're all depressive, alcoholic, suicidal fucks. T to me, that's not manly. That's just a loser that's like 
you know, like old man in the sea and gets all cut up trying to feed, get a fish that gets eaten by shit. It's, it's all depressing shit. You know, there's, there's never like a good ending. It's all bad. Yeah. And it's like... I I never understand why people like like depressive stories. Exactly. That, what's the whole point? If you're not going to give something, it's nihilistic, you know? And, yeah. and I've always felt that way about Hemingway. It's like, I don't care if the guy can write. Now... And he's not even that good a writer. That's my point. If you want to read something, a guy that is a brilliant writer and will probably make you... If you I've read two of his books and I'm like, I'm not reading a third because this guy's going to get me to drink a bottle of tequila and slash my wrists in the nearest bathtub. Is a guy called Pete Dexter. Now, Pete Dexter is a brilliant writer. He writes in a way that I envy in terms of his ability. Because, you know, if you've ever read Anne McCaffrey... She's the woman that writes about vampires and she takes like four pages describing how a leaf falls off a tree to try and tell you that it's autumn. Pete Dexter is like, starts off his book, winter, full stop. <laughs> he is like, he is, you know, a stab, stab, stab. Every sentence is just like, bang. And he writes some of the most absolutely realistic and human stories that have the grimmest fucking outlook on things but it's done in such a way that that you can't even i wouldn't even call him nihilistic i, I would almost call him like really good horror because it's so rooted in reality you know and i said look you guys don't know what the hell you're talking about you want to read a guy who's a, actually a good writer read pete dexter and control yourself because you'll probably snort coke and jump off a building when you're done but that guy can actually write. And, and the, the accusation I got back, typical, you Europeans are snobbish and just think because like Hemingway had short sentences that he's not a good writer. And I'm like, you're an idiot. Pete Dexter is American and he writes sentences that are like a quarter the size of the one that Hemingway writes. You don't know what you're talking about. And as for your projection of your American inferiority, that's your problem. Not for me. <laughs> you know, it's like... <laughs> I don't know why I went there. Gravity is the soul of wit. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm, so, I, I'm not a great writer. And, I mean, I go off on tangents and I fucking have sentences that are gone for about 200 words. But, you know, I, I, I defend myself in that respect saying that, like, back if you read books from, like, the 1800s, they had, like, run-on sentences that used commas and parentheses properly and went on for like, you know, 300 words. That was a sentence. It's a good the sentence. Thing is your style, at least, from what I've read in your blog, yeah. is you're almost, you're, you're basically writing down a conversation. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're talking to your reader. Indeed, yeah. And so your style is a lot more, uh, is just longer. Just, um, just as, as an example, I mean, what's his face? Uh, JCW, John C. Wright. Yeah. His own style on his blog is also very long. It is. And if you, if you take, like, the, to me at least, the extreme opposite, Vox, Vox will, 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 will write a sentence that's, like, 17 words long, and you have to spend, like, you know, five minutes just breaking it open. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I, I respect that ability to write. There's a guy who wrote... Uh, whatever, I always forget his name. I think it's Simon something. But he wrote like 50 versions of the Odyssey. And they're like, it's a book this thick. And it's like some, some things are just one paragraph long. And you think, how the hell can you write the Odyssey in a paragraph? And he does. And it's like, 
I wish I had one-tenth of this man's skill. Because he, he writes, each sentence paints such a huge picture that it's like, you, and if you've read the Odyssey, you're like, oh, how did he just do that? <laughs> you know, it's amazing. Um, I, I had this, you know, when I didn't have kids yet, uh, um, I had, I've got a bunch of old typewriters. And I, I got this idea that if I was going to force myself to write on a typewriter, and then I'd use the phone to take a picture of it and convert it to text, but only when I'm finished, because that would force me to like, not make a mistake, think about the sentence first, because on a, you know, on a word processor, you just type, and then you clean it up after, you know, sort of thing. Um, so I don't know, that might work, but I don't have the time, so. Yeah, time makes a mockery of us all. It does indeed. Uh, drop all right, so. Yeah. Let's. Well, sorry, going back to the end. Let's actually get to yeah. what the Catholics actually say about the end times. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're so, only two hours in, <laughs> you know, we're just touching on the topic now. <laughs> so, um, seem to actually remember my catechism. Yeah. So the end times require, um, I think it's four things. So you need the word of God to be preached in all corners of the world. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we've already got that done. Yeah. Um, the time itself needs to be one of tribulation and prosecution of Christians. What at the beginning? We're halfway there, so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Jews need to convert to Christianity. That hasn't happened yet. No. And the, like, you know, capital T. Capital capital N, capital S, the man of sin, needs to present himself and rule the world. Yeah. And this man of sin is supposed to be so powerful and convincing that even actual believing elect Christians can be fooled by him. I've often thought, of, of recently thought, is Trump the Antichrist? Because he seems to be doing everything kind of right, you know? So I sort of thought, and that's kind of what they tell you, right? That he's going to fool everybody. I mean, to be honest with you, although I don't want to sound arrogant, if, if it happens in my lifetime, I don't think I'll be fooled simply because, kind of like hobbits, like Tolkien talks about, there is no human being that I think, oh, he's, he's great, he's perfect. It's like, nah, he's human. So there's going to be some evil, nasty shit that he's done and he's probably continuing to do There's that. It's like there's supposed to be a sort of duality to the uh, man of sin. But on the one hand, he performs miracles. Yeah. And on the other hand, if you examine his personal life, he's supposed to be a depraved man of just vile sin. Yeah. Like utter wickedness. Yeah. So I don't think Trump, you know, really, I mean, lives up to that sort of, he's, he's not performing miracles, no, for one thing. No, but as a, as a um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not literally thinking Trump is the Antichrist. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking it of as a metaphoric sort of example. You know, the guys that are like, oh, Trump is great. And don't get me wrong, I, I think Trump is great as far as politicians go. I think he's probably the best president America's had, in, certainly in living memory that I can remember. It helps that he's not a politician. Yeah, it does. Um, and he's got an awesome style, which I quite like. He's funny. He's, uh, you know, he just does a lot of things that are very, 
oh, how could he? And, and I'm, I, I like that. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just like, I don't know. I'll t here's a parallel. My uncle and aunt, which I think were already divorced or busy divorcing or whatever at the time. I don't know if you ever came across this guy that was called Sai Baba, the supposed miraculous Hindu, indie, whatever, Indian guy that do like materialize stuff out of thin air and cure people and blah, blah, blah. And he's literally doing like magic tricks of like, oh, uh, there's a box here and all of a sudden I've got a necklace and I'll give you a necklace of gold. Um, turns out he was also uh, raping kids. And I saw a documentary done on the guy where, listen to this, how sick this shit gets. The parents of one of the boys that he abused um, getting interviewed and saying, but listen, your son has emancipated himself from you guys and saying that it's all bullshit and, you know, that he, like, you know, uh, had some sexual things done to him by Sai Baba and whatever. And like, what do you have to say to that? I mean, are you calling your own son a liar? Or like, what is it? And they were kind of like, well, we don't think, you know, it really makes a difference because... Um, Sai Baba being a prophet, if he did that, then then it's like a good thing. Kind of the Muslim thing, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, well, Muhammad uh, stuck his dick in a nine-year-old, but he's the prophet, so if he did it, it was cool. It's like that, that circular non-logic that it's like, oh, well, uh, he's the elect one, so yeah, he can fuck little kids and it's all good. And my uncle and aunt were both, for a period of time, sort of, this was before I think um, well at least initially was before all the stuff was known about the guy and I couldn't believe it I'm like you're fucking Italian I, I've known you people since I was a little kid you don't know a fucking thing about India or Indians you've never even been there you haven't got a clue about their and, and you're just all sitting here like a bunch of morons going, he can create fucking dust out of thin air it's like are you fucking retarded and, and you know I was pretty young I was like what is wrong with you people? And then when all that shit came out, I remember like telling my uncle, dude, like what's with you and this guy? And he's like, ah, well, I don't know, but you know, it kind of helped me in my boomers, boomers. Yeah, that, you yes. know, he fucked kids, but, but look how pretty my orange toga is. And I feel so cool and comfortable. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> what is wrong with them? And uh, I get, that's I think I think what's wrong with them is like the the last vestiges of what's right with them, as it were. Oh, that's but, interesting. The way I say it is, um, I was one actually one of the people who was fooled by uh, what's his face, uh, Jordan Peterson. Oh yeah, yeah. But Jordan Peterson is a guy that could fool a lot of people. I mean, I initially got fooled by Jordan Peterson because for about you know a minute because. I hadn't seen anything at all except the interview he did with that British uh, journalist. And that was a pretty good yeah. interview because he fucking slayed her sort of thing. And I thought, oh, cool. He's a cool guy. He's got a pair of balls. And then mm -hmm. I, because of that, I went to watch a, literally no more than 20 minutes of three different videos. And I was like, oh, that sounds pretty interesting. And in, in this 10 minute of video that I watched, it was like, oh, it's pretty cool, pretty cool. It's like, oh. Like nails on a chalkboard. Wait, that doesn't make any fucking sense. And then it's like, it says something cool again. And it's like, oh! I'm like, nah, something's off about this guy. It's just, and then I stopped sort of listening to him. And then Vox, yeah. Vox posted on his blog the letter that 
that he wrote to his dad, which is a public letter. And after you read that letter, if you've got half a brain, you realize this man is completely insane. And his whole concept is to try to brainwash the world because he believes that if everybody thinks what he wants them to do, then metaphysically in the in the in the Jungian sense, their unconscious will create a place of no war. And the only reason he wants no war is not because he gives a shit about war or people or anything, but it's because he's terrified all the time. It's like, oh, and he dreams I about... I didn't even get to that level. And he, and he dreams about eating just... his cousin, who's a very beautiful woman, and his grandmother's vagina in his face, which is hairy. Yeah. Let's say you had that dream. Are you going to put that out there in the public sphere? No. no you have, you have the would, dream, you realize there's something deeply wrong with that. you. <laughs> you know? And, and you lock yourself away. That's... Just... Anyway, the, the reason I was fooled by uh, JBP was because I was basically doing my, uh, I was during my search phase. Yeah. It was during the time I was basically um, dismantling my atheism and looking for, you know, God, reason, truth, beauty, and all that. That's when the snakes come out. Yeah. So there's all sorts of snakes that come at that point. And I think that. It, it really helps that I personally um, prefer zealots. Oh, yeah. I've, I've so, always preferred zealots, even before I was a Christian or whatever. You can trust a zealot to be a zealot. He's reliable. You know, is he a crazy... I've, I've told the story several times about the, the, the Muslim guy, Orthodox Muslim, that we had this conversation while we were working together, and then at the end of it, after I found out his beliefs and what he truly believed and so on, I came to the conclusion that said, you do realize if your religion or mine ever takes over, we will have to kill each other. One of us has to kill the other one. And he looked at me, stone cold sober, and said, yes, I know that. I'm like, cool. <laughs> I, I absolutely respect that. Absolutely, 100%. You know, if, if when I end up in my million years in purgatory, or however long I have to be in there, if that guy's next to me, I'll consider him a friend. I'll be like, yep, you were wrong too, huh? <laughs> we're burning in here for a while. I can respect that guy. Speaking of purgatory, this is actually something um, also from the top of my head I wanted to um, yeah. basically make it clear to people. In Catholic, call it a cosmology, purgatory is part of hell. Yeah, but it's, but, it's the one bit you can but, get out of. <laughs> Yeah, it's the part of hell that has an exit and is, as it were, um, still exposed to God's love. Yeah. So, even if you are in purgatory, you are still, even though you are suffering, you are still capable of experiencing positive, um, call it experiences. You are still capable of praying. You are still capable of, um, as it were, commiserating with your, with your fellow purg uh, purgatories. Are you? I, I didn't know that. That's very. That gives me a little bit of hope because I remember reading a couple of different passages in different books about the experience. No, don't get it wrong. It's excruciating. Yeah. You are exposed on the one side to the torment of, the, of damnation yeah. and on the other side to the um, basically judgment of God the Father. Yeah. But you still have some sort of core yeah. of holiness and love for Christ that maintains you. 
Well, that, that, that is a double. very that is a very that is a very very hopeful uh, thing, nevertheless, because I can relate to that in a very you know very distant analogy in in my own you know transformation. I remember after that that experience, I literally and and it lasted a while. And I'm not. I'm absolutely not joking when I say that. For a long time, I felt like literally a man that's hanging onto a little metal spike that's been stabbed into the side of a cliff face, and I'm literally hanging on with my left hand, which is the weak one, and being blown in the wind, and I'm trying to scrabble. And it's like that's how it felt like for a long time. And it was only like after a while that I like managed to crawl with my fingertips bleeding to the edge of this cliff. And I'm still holding on to the spike because it's like, I don't know if I can actually get any purchase here. I might get blown off. And then I got another spike and it was a very gradual. And, um, you know, that in that moment of feeling like you, you're about to be blown off here literally any second into complete abyss. It's, uh, it's a very uncomfortable place to be. But that little spike... I can't describe how powerful it was. Not that I thought I could hold on to it necessarily, but it was the only thing. That spike was holding on to you. Yeah, it it literally was. That thing was keeping me alive because if if it crumbled just a little bit and I came off there, I was done, you know. So it's uh, uh, related to that a little bit. It's, uh, it's, It's a very comforting thing to have that spike, put it that way. The whole process is that, not that spike. That spike, I think, is the cross. I don't know what it was, but it's the only thing that kept me on that cliff face. So, yeah, it, I mean, that is God. That is Jesus. That is Christ. That is the cross, as you say. It is all of the above and, and more. Um, and and sometimes it literally felt like just the metal spike that you better hold on to, dude, because that's all there is. <laughs> so, yeah. The thing is... Visually, if you think about it at least, when God turned the cross to his symbol, that's basically the, 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 it's the spike we all hang on to. Yeah. Well, now you're reminding me of the Hyperion series where the, the, the science fiction writer Dan Simmons wrote about the Shrike. And it's, it's a very... He obviously has a lot of Christian symbolism and talks about Pierre Thelard de Chardin, which I didn't know was a complete apostate and, and would be destroyer of the of the church. But um, it was really funny how God works because it, partly reading Pierre Thelard de Chardin's The Phenomenon of Man brought me closer to Christianity, certainly made me see the Jesus event as something mystical and powerful and whatever and this guy was actually trying to get christians to go away from proper catholicism but i was so far out that you know he's like i'm gonna take you all away it was like oh that looks pretty cool it's like going close <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> yeah they actually had the same thing with uh, with uh, jordan peterson ah yeah. he's basically he's basically there as a sort of um as a uh, guard yeah to prevent people from becoming christian yeah but the way he would describe like um, Bible stories, basic to me at least, made Christ sort of echo, as it were, through through everything. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Because he was he was talking about you know, like you know uh, subconscious stories and Jungian archetypes, and was like, 
it's so if if Christ just echoes through like the human subconscious, yeah. he's really really true. Yeah, exactly. I had the same experience with the phenomenon of man. It's like, but wait, if the Jesus event is such a crucial thing, then then it's a real crucial thing. You know, it, it happened. It changed the world. So it's real. <laughs> yeah. There's, the, the, the 33 years that Christ lived on this world are probably the most real 33 years in existence. Yeah. That, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's, uh, well, shall we oh. see if any of these? Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry, but you were saying the Catholic thing is you. You got a. Where did we get to? You. 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 Uh, <laughs> The persecution right. of Christians um, is half a finger. We're halfway there. The Jews haven't converted. And what was the fourth one? Oh, the man of sin. The yeah, right, Christ. right. So that hasn't happened. So we're good, right? I mean, end times, not here yet. <laughs> what, yeah, but on the other hand, this is why I think we are in the dress rehearsal for the end times. Yeah. Because, uh, and again, I've forgotten the actual name of this saint. But the thing is that um, once you take Jews and teach them Hebrew and have a um, call it um, period of time where they are in peace with Christians, yeah, they tend to convert to Christianity. That's very interesting. And that's what happened in what's called the Golden Age of Spain. You had a sort of um, yeah. like a wave of um, Jewish Hebrew scholarship, as in scholarship into the Hebrew language and to the Hebrew scripture. And that's when you had, and again, God help me, but I forgot the name of the saint. It's a saint who wandered throughout Spain and converted Jews to Christianity. You mentioned that the last time, and I, I yes. don't remember if I wrote it down. Somebody in the chat actually said who the saint was. Uh, I think it might be in the chat if we go back to the other one, but. Yeah, I'll have to look for it. That's um, was it was it Saint Irene? No, wasn't it the saint that had bilocation? Whose name I forget, but I could know, be. And and Barnhart wrote about him. Yes, that that's where I heard of him first. It was one of uh, Anne Barnhart's podcasts. Yeah, uh, he's she's written a blog post about this guy. He's the guy that like basically took his cloak, made a surfboard out of it, and just like. Fucking appeared somewhere else over the sea. I, I don't know. He he did some weird stuff. Um, it's so, really... the, the thing. The, anyway, the point I'm trying to get at is this: with everything that's going on in Israel, it means that um, the Jews, good and bad, are going to be pushed into Israel. Yeah. With the dissolution of the United States, with the breakdown of the of the uh, European Union, with uh, China basically telling the uh, the Jewish elite. <laughs> Fuck Go off. fuck yourselves, you're not ruining our country. I was going to mention that, yeah. yeah, Indeed. All of the Jewish people are going to be, uh, well, consecrated, yeah. concentrated, concentrated in this tiny strip of land. Yeah. Now, you might not, I mean, look on a map, oh, just look at Israel. I'm aware. Israel is basically the size of a county yeah. in any other country. Yeah. We're talking about a, a, of a geographical area so small, you can go from one edge to the other in eight hours in a car. Yeah. 
that's like from the longest two tips, just from the from the Golan Heights down to Eilat. Yeah, I'm aware. And this this is going to compress all of us in one tiny little place. There's not going to be any hiding. There's not going to be any um, as as it were um, like well, the aspirin um, assistance coming from the outside. Okay. Oh. Once the Jews are forced into one country, there's going to be mass conversions. Absolutely, yeah, I can see that now. now the, the, the amount of pressure on the people is going to be immense. Yeah, you see, that's why and I this, keep, I'm telling you, man, you you're meant to be a priest. I I honestly, truly believe that. Um, I've mentioned you again. I, I spelled your name wrong, though. I'm, I'm not going to say your name here, but instead of your name, I actually spelled out um, a, a Japanese manga who similar similar name. Akira. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. That's, that's, if, I, if we're going to dig into names, that's no, a, I'm so hopeless that's name, the odd thing about my own name. After I said Akira. Hmm? After I sent Sorry? it, I was like, no, wait, isn't that the manga? You know, I'm so useless with names. It's it's like only after I sent it I realized wait I think I got the guy's name with the manga I got wrote the manga guy's name instead of but I think he'll know who I mean I mean there's not many people like you so it's it's not like he's got a bunch of people to choose from but um, yeah and what I actually mentioned and um, you know I'll, I'll wait for his reply because one of the other guys wrote to him because I've just been so busy with other things I don't want to discuss on, on online but good stuff some of it bad some of it great but uh, you know whatever and I, I just forgot to sort of follow up because the intention was to have him come over sort of end of October early November but now there's the new lockdown so who knows but the idea was to make him come up here there's quite a few people that are going to have babies and we want them to get baptized and I mentioned about bringing you over for baptism and that way you could meet and speak because he also doesn't just come here does the baptism and bugger off. He's probably going to have a day, maybe two days, depends on what we can do, where he basically does a catechism for adults. You know, where like you ask him whatever and he answers, you know. So um, if that was a possibility, you know, if, if around that time I asked him if he could give us some dates and then my idea was to maybe see if we can crowdfund to get you over if you're willing, you know, willing and able slash to take a couple of days off, then flying over to Europe is honestly trivial. It's not. That's not the problem. The problem is that before my conversion, I lived a oh, honestly profligate and irresponsible life. I'm basically a debtor. I'm under repo, and I just can't leave Israel. Oh, are you physically unable to leave the the country? Yeah. I just can't leave Israel. That's the by law, yeah. I'm hoping that I can basically. Uh, so there's like the government mandated um, pension fund, yeah, which is like the equivalent to the American 401k, yeah, but government mandated. Yeah. So I'm hoping I can crack that open, pay my debts, and leave. That's right. what I'm hoping to do. Okay. Well, you never know. This guy is, is he's a, he's a hardcore priest, so maybe. Maybe he can travel to Israel, you know, who knows? Um, that would be possibly another option. Yeah. 
It's something that I wonder about in my more uh, morose like moments. Like, when is the last time that a valid mass was offered to God in his own birth country? That is an awesome thought. It's it's a sad thought. But you see, once again, just think of the sentence that you just said. And my, you see, the, 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 I don't know how to explain this in words. This, this is one of those times where, you know, I, I basically write because it, it's a hellish thing to try and convert my own sensations into words and then I have to do it so that I can explain stuff to other people. I don't need words for myself. This is one of those moments. If you look at the confluence of coincidences that would bring me, a person like me, and you, a person like you, to be doing this, talking about this stuff, and you saying that sentence, when was the last time that a valid mascot offered to Jesus in his own country of birth? Imagine that the number of coincidences that have to happen for that particular little event to happen. And trivial to maybe most people watching, but it's not trivial. It's absolutely not trivial. It's, a, it's an important point you've just made that it has an incredible amount of weight, is how I would try and describe it. I can't, I can't transmit to the people listening to this. They, um, I wouldn't just say my personal sensation because it's not subjective. I have the ability to understand when something is subjective just to me and when something is actually valid objectively in the world. This is one of those objectively valid statements that ha carries an amount of weight that the average person probably just completely bypasses, um, which is why I'm convinced that it's important for for um, well for you to get baptized and possibly um, down the line some who knows. The only thing I'm absolutely sure of is prayer works. So uh, let's keep praying on it. I would say, and we'll see. What happens? I still think you you're meant to be some kind of a priest out there, man. So yeah. Out there or in here. Who knows? Yeah. The <laughs> Demetrius Bell says, We got one Jew. <laughs> That's actually kind There's... of interesting. Do you because you know you say my people, but at the same time you're desire is i would say you're under baptismal desire personally that's what i would say you you're one of the very few people that i think qualifies for baptism of desire because you would get baptized validly right away if you could but uh, you physically are you know imp it's impossible for you to get baptized by a valid catholic priest at the moment um, as I said, because I'm, you know, from that warrior practical cast, I'd get an atheist friend of mine to just say the words, do the water thing, just, just in case, you know. <laughs> I'm not telling you what to do, man. I'm just saying that's what I would do. <laughs> but, uh, but then I say that, but then I didn't do it when I was thinking about it for a long time. So, who knows. But yeah, I would say that baptism of desire probably applies to you actually. Um, so yeah, it's very interesting.
<laughs> when you convert from Judaism, to, you also convert from creditor to debtor. <laughs> That's quite funny, actually. <laughs> No, that's uh, my own stupidity and self-destructive tendency. Well, that's okay. But, uh, we, we, we can tell each other a few of our sins, I suppose. Sometimes it helps people to know. You know, like I mentioned a few of the things. I, I mean, that's honestly, there's stuff I'm not going to talk about until after I'm dead. I'll leave a book for my kids. But, um, you know, because I don't... Hold that one moment. Yeah. Vodka wants out. Yeah. Okay. Actually, uh, talk amongst yourselves. I'm going to go get the Jägermeister. Yeah, the funny thing is, I was exhausted when this when we started, but talking with Woolly Ram is always invigorating. And look at this, I mean, I'm drinking a German drink. I thought, what am I doing? But look, look, can you see? A little cross right there. It's a sign, sign from above that it's all good. So uh, what are you guys talking about now? Let's see. You know, when I say talk amongst yourselves, I, I mean it. I mean, there's like 50 of you or something in here, so... You guys come up with some interesting topics. Uh, where are we? About Jews converting, there is this Protestant organization, One for Israel, showing people of Jewish descent becoming Messianic Jews. Yeah, heard about them. Some videos from them helped me in times. I got a bit too much into sin. We've all been into sin. Dancers with Logos laughs. I'm not sure what she's laughing off. Before said of acantism. What are we all drinking? Well, I've just shown you. Jägermeister. Uh, the man himself is drinking uh, vodka. That's right. Cactus eat a bear. As Catholics, it's a community. You have to talk to each other. That's right. Um, you don't necessarily have to like each other. Catholics are well known for being... Uh, um, you know, gossipy fuckers, although they're not supposed to be. I checked that Russian standard and it's pretty basic. Yeah, dude, the, the proper Russian vodka, I don't know, the names are like Russian names, you know. Water, I guess. Zeno's Dart, I'm, I'm liking this guy more and more. I think he's only 22 and he's fucking hardcore. I like Zeno's Dart. Zenos, what does that mean? Pooh and Bear says, I mean, it tastes like regular Polish vodka. And, you know, you know, Polish vodka is made by Polish people. Logic. Uh, hashtag logic. Okay, I don't know. Dances with Logos is on her own little trip story. I don't know. Funny. Jagger. I drink it only when I'm sick. Very sick. Well, I, I like the bitters. Uh, Jägermeister is not one of my favorite. A really good one is called, I drank it in Italy. Oh, I can't remember. Something of Del Capo or Del Capitano. I, I can't remember. Something about the captain or the chief. It's a very nice 
bitter type of drink. Um, are you guys seeing the little, I don't know if, I don't want to cross anybody's writing out, but it's kind of popping up on the side here. I don't know if that's coming up on the screen as well for you guys or not, but reindeer blood, jagger, okay, what are we? IPA Swami. I don't know what that means. Since Dan is one of the lost tribes, how will we know if someone comes from it? I don't know, but I've, I've decided long ago that there's only two types of people. People who like the truth and people who don't. Hey Kurgan, finally broke it to my Polish Catholic mother that I'm said of a cantist. She was quite sad about hearing that Carol was a heretic pope, but said she's excited to learn more. Well, excellent. Um, I don't know if she reads English. If you want the detail, you know, if you want the like idiots version, not idiots version, but like the cliff notes, get Believe. If you want the full story, get Proclaiming um, the Catholic Church, which is like 500 plus pages of details. Apparently, the biggest cathedral in Krakow is a set of a Kantish parish. That's awesome to know. And also, once again, God is mocking me for uh, my, my take on the Polish people being the most retarded Europeans on earth. And if the biggest church in Krakow is a set of a Kantist parish, uh, there you go. Once again, God teaching me my lesson. Not to be an arrogant prick. Probably have to learn that one a few times over. Oh, Zeno the Sophist had a paradox about an arrow reaching its target. I hate Sophists, so I thought an image of him as a drunk bar patron bullshitting whilst playing darts was funny. <laughs> I hate Sophists with a passion, and I would never take that name up, but yeah. You know, I think the best um, refutation of Zeno's paradox of um, motion, you know, not working. Yeah, like is like get shot with an arrow. I was actually thinking of something a little more personal, just slapping him in the face. Yeah, I, I would tell him to stand there and so I can test my theory with an arrow, because fuck him. <laughs> Slap in the face is not enough for people like that. Possibly. But, but I have, honestly, no word of a lie, done this to journalists more than one occasion, when I, especially after I wrote The Face on Mars, and people asked me to give talks and stuff on radio, on TV, on people's houses. You know, it was kind of like like doing gigs, I guess. I didn't look for any of it. People just came and asked me. And I'd go to this, you know, the guy invites me to his house. He's got all his friends, whatever. I'm telling them about my book with some slides and stuff. And in very, you'd get a journalist that says, yeah, but that's just your opinion. I'm like, uh, no, my opinion doesn't fucking come into it. This is where I got it from. And this, these are satellite images. It's got nothing to do with me. This is the, the, the work that was done to check the satellite images. And be like, well, but everybody's got their own truth. And I was like, as soon as that sentence comes out, I was 26 when The Face on Mars came out, right? I was like, no, there is objective truth, and I can prove it to you in the next five seconds. Well, no, because I've got, no, 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 no. I'm telling you right now, I'll bet you any amount of money, I can prove to you there is an objective reality, and you, you, in about five seconds, will agree with me, maybe 30 seconds, you will agree with me that absolutely there's an objective reality. Well, how can you? I'm going to grab you by the hair now, and then I'm going to slam your head repeatedly into this coffee table. And here's the objective reality. You're going to tell me coffee tables exist. It's an absolute. <laughs> Shall we start? 
Oh, no, but, no, no, we're going to start now. Uh, is there an ob- oh, oh, yeah, okay, I, I guess there is. Thank you. I have had no takers. Absolute, nope. all, all, all these philosophers all believe in coffee tables. It's amazing. Coffee tables are a thing, you know. It, it's, and I have done this repeatedly to, to more than one person when that idiot comes out and says, objectively, it's just your opinion. I'm like, you got no hair, I'll use your ears. <laughs> you know, I've always, and up until now, I never knew why, I've always hated Platonism. Mm. Like when the whole, um, like this, I don't know who it was. Um, actually, I do. It's from uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Oh, I hate that. Basically, I'm, I, I get why you hate it. I don't. Does have I couldn't a finish that book. In the book. It was one of the books I could never finish. I got halfway through and I was like, I'm just going to throw this crap over there. I, I couldn't deal with it. To people of a certain temperament, it's a good primer on philosophy. It's like a good like um, appetizer and open. But it was talking absolute shit. True. But he has one true point. There are two types of people. There are Platonists and there are Aristotelians. Well, there's definitely no... I mean, if I have to choose between those two, it's not even a choice. Aristotle was (laughs) way ahead of... I mean, it's just... (laughs) And it's just... I'm I'm just finding myself that's like, the older I grow and the more I learn and the more of life I experience... The more I'm just, Plato's philosophy comes straight from the pit. Like I haven't read. There's, 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 there's a direct line from Satan's, like the center yeah. of Satan's brain, all the way to Plato. See, I haven't read like, enough Plato to, to be that familiar with it. I've read enough Plato to know, for example, his uh, some of his description of. Um, and yeah, I could see what you mean because, for example, I think that the, his description of the perfect society has indeed the warriors, the villagers, and so on, right? I think, think it's him that describes like the warrior caste, the villager caste, and whatever, which I didn't know, but I haven't read it. Plato is more uh, philosopher kings, warriors, and uh, everyone else. Yeah, which. I get in a, in a hierarchical sense, it's 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 not that far from from a Catholic perspective of hierarchy, right? You've got martyrs, you've got whatever, sir, you know, monks, and you've got warriors, and then you've got like the average peasant. And actually, the average peasant can be the lowest rung or the highest rung, depending on the type of peasant. Um, so there is some semblance to reality there, but but yes. I would call Plato is kind of the Freud of of philosophy, um, while Aristotle is the is the parish priest of philosophy, which tells you the the, the truth how it how it is. Um, Socrates, I, I quite like Socrates when I was in my teens and so on, but there are unfortunately an, a, a huge number of people in today's world that use what they think is the Socratic method to look very smart and never answer any damn questions. And those guys, I go straight back to the coffee table with, you know, so yeah. like, um, yeah, you're not going to ask answer. An, I'll ask, I'll say something that if they try and ask a question in the form of their answer, 
they end up looking ridiculous. So it's like to prevent them from like saying that. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that Socrates got perverted by Plato because again, yeah. we don't have any actual um, writings from Socrates himself. All we have is what Plato moved forward to us. That's that's actually a very very good point because there are aspects of Socrates. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It's was it Socrates that drank the the poison? Yes. Yeah. So. That guy had a pair of balls. Whatever you know, just as as Catholics, we don't believe in suicide, of course. But it wasn't. I don't consider that really a suicide. It was more. That like wasn't a, suicide. It was submission to the law. Yeah, it was like fuck you. I'll I'll do what I. You know, I'm still gonna stand by what I'm saying, sort of thing. So. I mean, he absolutely stuck to what he said. I mean, again, I think that like the truth of Socrates shines through Plato's. Um, Smart boyism. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's excellent. <laughs> Plato is the, the the philosopher of smart boys. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because he's just point point score, as they say in the Japanese. <laughs> Ippon. That's a full point. Full point hit. <laughs> there's, there's there's not a lot much more to say. It's like um. Damn. Oh, I've just I've just realized. Sorry, I I just realized that Tom Mastroianni, which um, I must say, Tom, I'm very uh, very appreciative of your complete zealot backup of anything I say on on Social Galactic is quite quite cool. <laughs> he's like he's always on my corner, no matter what. I'm, I I could I don't know I could say some stupid shit and and he'd be like, no no, Kurgan's on my side. So thanks for that, and I've just realized why. Because he's drinking homemade wine made by his Calabrese father. So Tom, Tom is a Calabrese. Now, I have to say this because, you know, I've mentioned the Polish, I've mentioned all sorts. The Calabrese are basically the worst type of wop that you get. They are the, the most, you know, tribal, what we call terroni. You know, the, the, the southern Italian, fucking half African beasts. That, that live in the southern part of Italy. But despite all these uh, rather genetic unfortunities, they are extremely loyal. Now, it's much harder to become really good friends with a Calabrese than it is, say, a Sicilian. Now, you know, you know the Sicilians are pretty tribal people, but compared to the Calabrese, they're like open-hearted wanderers, you know. Um, but... If a Calabrese becomes your buddy, despite the fact that he's basically a gypsy, he will slaughter all sorts of people for you. So I now understand. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have made your, your acquaintance over the, over the internet, Tom. Uh, Wooly Ram, your fortunate Macellerate. Oh, oh, that's it. Yeah, he's got a... Uh, throwing knives... I would prefer wine. <laughs> Poster child. I'm not really sure how to interpret this, but it's funny. It says Zeno's urinal never got damp. <laughs> That's very fun. <laughs> and Pew and Bear says we Polish may be retarded. You see, I really like this guy. When people can take a, a hit and just roll with it, but our winged hustlers defended Vienna. That is absolutely true. When other retarded Europeans were considering getting first Quran. Absolutely true. You see, that is a man that I would stand next to when we're fighting shield to shield. Uh, 
Delta Bear says, Kurgan, I'm planning on buying Reclaiming the Catholic Church and mailing to Catholic churches in my area. Should I send them Believe as well, or would it be redundant? Uh, I think it would be redundant. Um, if you can get one of them to actually read Reclaiming the Catholic Church, I'll be very impressed, very impressed if one of them actually, if one of the Norco priests actually reads it. I had an experience um, when I was living in Venice with a, a Norco priest, a good man, okay? He was a good guy. He actually helped me. He spoke with me at length about uh, Christianity and questions I had. Um, and I was already kind of new about Sedevacantism, but I thought, well, whatever, let's check this guy out. You know, I'm not just going to take some writing, my own interpretation, not my own interpretation, I mean the, the, the interpretation, the only logical interpretation of canon law, and then read some stuff on the internet and sort of go, oh, I know it all. No, fuck that. I'm going to go check it out for myself. I will talk to Norco Priest. I've got, I got to find out, right? I've got to experience it. And he was a good guy. He was definitely not a bad guy. He was extremely well-read. He was extremely well-educated, I would say, in the classical aspects of Catholicism. And I bought a little booklet that was called A Brief Criticism of the Novus Orco Mass. Well, Novus Order, they call it, but, you know. Brilliantly written in Italian. It's available in English. It's on the uh, Soladition Planum um, website of the of the guys from Mater Boni Consili, which is where I got baptized. Um, you, you've got it online as well. You don't have to buy it. But I bought it and I'd read it. And in Italian, it is an outstanding piece of literature. It's like, you know, might be 20 pages, if that. I don't know. It's maybe 10 pages. But it's written in what I call high Italian. You know, like elves. You know, you've got common elvish if you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons. Then you've got high elvish if you know your Tolkien. This is like high elvish. It's it's an Italian that very few people speak or write, but it's it's a razor, a rapier to the throat that is just so clean that you know it's like one of those those samurai movies where the guy goes choo, 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 and then you get like a guy just falls into little cubes. It's like that. And um, and I gave it to him with a dedication, thanking him for his time with me, and you know, hoping that he. And he, when I handed it to him, he just read the title and he goes, "Ah, I presume this is a criticism of the Novus Order Mass." And I said, "Yes, it is, but I'd like to hear your take once you've read it." He never spoke to me again after that. Um, and he was a good guy, but you see, human beings. I don't judge that man because I've seen that man do uh, mass at least a good half dozen times where I was the only person sitting in his church and I wasn't baptized, so I wasn't going out to take communion. It was an empty church and he would do the mass. Fake mass, you know, Novus Order mass. But he was clearly dedicated. Um, he believed, I don't know why he believed, you know, he was probably maybe my age, maybe a few years older. So he was brought up in the Novus Orco. He did, probably didn't know any better. If he did, he kind of worked his way around it. And the problem with human beings is most human beings, I would say a good probably 65, maybe 70% of human beings, lower end, maybe 50% of human beings, would rather die than restructure their own sense of id, their own sense of self-identity, their own belief about who they are. For example, if you believe that you're a loyal guy, 
and I can prove to you that your loyalty is completely misplaced and you're wrong, that is a huge, huge shift because with being loyal, it's one of the topics I talk about in the book about error. And Barnhart is in error through loyalty. Um, Anna has spoken on her podcasts and written as well that the reason she goes, to, she believes that Novus Ordo Mass is valid and she goes to Novus Ordo Mass because although it's all filthy and degraded and whatever, I'm not going to abandon my Lord to these perverts. I'm going to be there when they give the sacraments. And I'm like, lady, your feminine instinct of nurturing and, and wanting to, like Mary, be at the cross when the guy is, you know, nailed up on it is a very female um, aspect. I saw it in my own daughter and made me cry. Um, but Jesus does not need you to save him. You know, your presence, because you don't want to abandon Jesus Christ, is your own solipsistic nature thinking that God needs you to be there present to a certain extent. God, first of all, is not there because that Mass is invalid and it's fake. But even if he were, I suppose if he were, your presence means something. I'm not saying it's meaningless. But you know, your statement of, I'm not going to abandon Jesus Christ to these perverts, it's not like Jesus needs you to defend him. You know, Jesus came to save us. We don't save him. So, and that's a very male perspective, perhaps too male. You know, it's sort of like, fuck it, you don't need us. You know, I need him. You know, it's like a bit reductive as well. But... But she is essentially in error because she thinks Ratzinger is the Pope and whatever through loyalty. She doesn't want to be disloyal to, to Jesus and God and what she thinks is the corrupted church and whatever. But the thing is, there is no way back from where you are. If you believe that, there's no fixing the church. It's completely, it's like the way I describe it in the book is how much sewage do you need in your ice cream before you won't eat it? You know, a drop of sewage is enough, right? Um, and that's my take on it, and that's been the take of the Catholic Church since time immemorial, you know. So, but for Anne to accept that her loyalty is misplaced, she would have to completely reconsider who she thinks she is, what her personal makeup is. And most human beings will rather die than do that. It's, it's a very difficult thing for human beings to, um, well, I suppose, be reborn which is pretty much what happened to me when I had that experience. It was like, no, um, it's not just that I was a bit wrong. It's like literally every thought I had since I was born until now, fucking way off track. <laughs> you know, it's like, but I've always been very autistic or whatever, like, you know, with karate. I did karate for like decades. Then I came across a Russian guy that could like fucking do what he wanted with me like I was a ping pong ball. And I was like, oh, well, karate is out the window. Better learn from this guy. It took me zero seconds to do that. But, you know, I'm, I've, I don't know, I've got an unusual brain wiring or whatever. Most people can't do that, so it's very difficult for them to to change over. So, Delta Bear, if you can get them to read Reclaiming the Catholic Church, I'll be very impressed and I'll be very interested to know what the results of that are. So, ping me an email. <clears throat> we can, in this case at least, pray for God to grace them. Yes. With a, how do you put it, um, Flexibility of mind. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, or, or just the mistake of actually picking it up and reading it because they think it's not really going to affect them, and maybe it does, you know. I was um, genuinely pleasantly surprised by the, the, the fact that believers doing so well in terms of converting people. I, I mean, I get emails, not daily, but certainly weekly. Um, and, uh, I, I mean, you know, my, my, my marketing skills are right up there with my diplomacy skills pretty non-existent um so I, I how do you put it um all things are possible with god yeah and when when what you're what you're offering is the truth of god yeah that's a good point. the people who are actually receptive to what god is offering yeah. they will respond that, that's that's, uh, that's true and it's also very flattering and uh, I'm a bit embarrassed to be honest to, to consider that anything that I do is of God it would it, it whatever element of it is of God is from God it's honestly not from me I'm just a conduit if anything uh, Baron von Blair says Kurgan Woolley would an example of an objective binary in mankind be the individual pursuing truth versus seeking power uh, I don't know that the two are completely mutually exclusive. Um, for example, I know that my... I don't know if you guys have ever played role-playing games, but I have plenty of them. And some of them, I just read through the rules. There was, um, you know, DC, the comic books, which are now completely converged. But DC used to write a comic book called Jonah Hex, which was one of my favorite comic books just because the character in it had the same way of thinking that I have. And, you know, he killed about 20 people per comic book or whatever. But um, there was um, a game that was made about DC heroes, you know. So it had all the, all the comic book characters from the DC universe as a role-playing game. And Joan and and it had these different statistics and whatever. And the Jonah Hex character, you know, your characters had to have a m main motivation. So if it was like Superman, it was like doing good or whatever. Um, Jonah Hex's motivation was seeking justice, which is absolutely correct. And you know, since I read that card, I was like, that is a very good description of how my brain functions. It is seeking justice. Now, if you're seeking justice, you're not actually seeking any power for yourself. And I can tell you that categorically, I have zero interest in power for myself. But in order to do justice, perform justice, have justice, seek justice, you occasionally need power. And very often you need power. So there can be the use of power or the pursuit of power not for power for its own sake, but in order to be able to perform justice. So, for example, if I became dictator tomorrow, I guarantee you that I would not, you know, if I became emperor, let's, let's, let's go the whole way, the whole hog, world doge, right? That, that would actually be my position. It would be world doge, because the doges, the, the, the rulers of um, the Serenissima of, of Venice, when they became doge, they gave up every single uh, business link to anything. They were not allowed to have any money. They were not allowed to own property, shares, or business interests. They literally had nothing. They were paupers, except that everything they needed, food, clothing, the, the shall we say, the, uh, the pomp 
of the state ruler was all provided for. So you would have the cool clothes, you would have the good food, you would have all that stuff. But you could have a zero business interests, you could have zero future business interests. In other words, sort of like you couldn't go to a guy, oh, I'll promote your company and then four years from now you give me the money. No, you had nothing. Your job was to rule that city in the interest of the people that lived in it. And that would be my approach. I would essentially become like a monk. It would be like, I just need these things in order to feed myself and my family. And these things need to be provided. And they need to be good quality things because my kids, my family, whatever. But I wouldn't give a crap if I had to eat the same meal, you know, and I only had one meal a day. That was it. But then when I say, burn those heretics at the stake, the army absolutely does what they're told. Um, That absolutely has a, you know, a person like that has power in the world, worldly power, right? But it is subjugate to seeking truth. That's why I'm saying I don't think they're necessarily um, mutually exclusive. Uh, I think it's very easy, if you are the type of person, to fall into sin. It's very easy to be corrupted by power, absolutely very easy. It's very easy to be corrupted, if not by power, by your own ego, your own arrogance in the use of that power, your own arrogance in the determination of what is just, and you have to be a very staunch Catholic and very well read in canon law and so on to understand that if you actually follow canon law law properly, although it seems harsh, it is absolutely, um, I would say, promoting charity. Absolutely. We actually, uh, actually don't want to really stand on this point. There was the um, the video you turned me on to um, with uh, Father Cicada. Mm-hmm. Was it Cicada? Cicada, yeah. I, I say Cicada, but I don't know. Yeah. Whichever. It's a, it's Cicada versus Jenkins. Yeah. Um, Father Jenkins is from the um, SSPV, I think. Yes. Uh, Society yeah. of Saint Pius the Fifth. Yeah. And uh, Cicada is. Well, he's an out-and-out state of the contest. Yeah. Well, was an out-and-out state of the contest because... So is Jenkins, by the way. Jenkins is supposedly, supposedly a state of the contest, but they're not. They're like the SSPX. They're they're fakers. They're they're the Ben Shapiro's of Catholicism. Yeah. I mean, I've watched quite a bit of their videos, and they seem to hold the sort of position of... um, their position seems to be it is absolutely valid and conscionable and uh, even laudable to doubt the validity of uh, Bergoglio's and uh, what's his face, um, yeah, Rassinger's sure. uh, papacy. Yeah. That seems to be their position, which is a sort of rather mild and um, mm. overly cautious position. Yeah. But anyway, the point you were making on that, and it was a point actually. I rather ineffectually tried to make in some of your videos. No, you did. You did make that point. I think it was you that made a comment. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yes, and and I honestly want, um, if possible, all of you to watch this discussion between Father Sicada and Father Jenkins. Yeah. Because it centers around this um, an event where um, Father Jenkins denies communion. Yeah. To I think three people yeah. who took communion 
from uh, what is it, uh, St. Gertrude's uh, Church, Father Chikada, which is a... Yeah. Which I believe is where Father Cicada um, practiced. Yes. And Father Cicada, um, he adheres to canon law. I mean, like, like a limpet adheres to a ship in the storm. Yep. But here's the thing. In Father Cicada's, um, he, you would almost say, unreasonable adherence to the letter of the law, yeah. you will find a thread. It's, it's not a thread. It's, it's, it's a rope. It's a chain of mercy. It is. Because it denies priests the, um, like, how to put it, um, it denies priests the ability to deny mercy to laymen. Yes. It's law. It's like the law is subservient to mercy. Absolutely. And that is one point that is so difficult to explain about justice. Because people say, oh, the Kurgan is merciless. The Kurgan takes heads and blah, blah, blah. And let me tell you, you know, the way people know me online and even in my, in my uh, let's say, real life, they haven't got a fucking clue. I have been in situations where I'm not going to expose myself. Let's just hypothetically say that I've been in situations where blowing people away just meant nothing, right? wasn't wasn't something that would have kept me up nights, and it was never. I was never in a situation that wouldn't keep me up nights as a result of my own ego, arrogance, uh, lack of charity, lack of uh, lack of charity. Yes, I'll, I'll I'll own up to that one because I wasn't a Christian, uh, so my my method of measurement was like, you know, let's put it this way: before Catholicism, right? If somebody ran over my dog because they were drunk. Uh, their tire blew out because they didn't service their car. They meant to run over my dog in a dark alley with no witnesses. They die because you run over my fucking dog, you stupid son of a bitch. I don't care why. I don't care how. Fuck you. You killed my dog. I care about my dog. I don't give a shit about you. That was before Catholicism, right? Now, a guy runs over my dog. I would be very interested in like, Let's say he was a drunk guy and ran over my dog. Now, as a Catholic, I would not take his life because a dog is a dog and a human being is a human being and they've got a different hierarchy. But if he was a drunk, lazy-ass motherfucker that ran over my dog, you can bet your ass that I would beat him within an inch of his life. Again, no cameras, you know, hypothetical, Mongolia. Some Mongolian drunk runs over my dog in Mongolia. He's going to get the shit kicked out of him. He's going to be in hospital for like four months while he learns how to walk and chew food again. But it's not because it's my dog. It's because it could have been somebody else's child. And it's because the next time that fucker thinks of taking a drink and using a car, he's going to remember that um, he has to swallow very slowly because he's missing all his teeth. And, uh, you know, his arm doesn't quite work properly. So he's going to think about it. 
and it's going to give him the education that he missed out on and all the social cues that he missed out on in about three minutes but it will remember it for the rest of his life and that's what i mean about doing justice to an outsider looking in he thinks that guy's crazy he nearly killed a man beat the shit out of him put him in traction for six months because he ran over his fucking poodle i wouldn't have a poodle as a dog but you know i'm just saying but but there is a whole scope of reality behind that that people don't don't get and it, it's extremely hard to transmit that to somebody who doesn't have seeking justice as their you know primary motivation on their superhero card <laughs> you know going back to the, the role-playing game um it's extremely hard to explain that but it is a very real thing and i forgot why i started talking about this because i'm half a bottle of jägermeister in so um, i want to continue on that yeah. um just to grab two oh, things it was from the, the guy, Gospels. Was no mercy from Kurgan. That's what set me off. It's like, I'm a very merciful person. If only you understood. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go on. But Christ himself in the Beatitude says, Blessed are those, those who thirst for justice. Yeah. Yes, and you've reminded me why I said that. Because God is love. Is, I would say that is absolutely the defining characteristic. God is love, is the compression. You know, I think, I believe it's, um, I don't remember if it's some Jewish concept that like if you, you could compress the whole of, of the Bible into God is love and that would define the whole thing. And I think, I, I was speaking to an Orthodox Jew many years ago who told me that if you take the beginning of the Torah and the end of the Torah and you put the last, the first and the last two uh, words i think i think they say something like i don't remember the details but it's like god love something like that it's it's like you know the very first word and the very last word i don't know if it's that's true or not or whatever but and i would say that is an accurate description god is love but you cannot have actual true love if you don't have justice it's impossible you, you, you cannot have love without justice because that would mean that the, the child abuser gets loved with no con consequences for his child abuse. You, you get the, the murderer gets loved, you know, with no consequences for his bad behavior. And as Catholics, that's why there is purgatory. Because even if you've realized that you've done wrong, even if you've repented that you've done wrong, that doesn't mean you avoid jail. You know, if I run over somebody else's dog and they beat me within an inch of my life, honest to God, I swear this on my soul, my attitude you know, because I'm still a human being and I'm, and I'm flawed and everything, I'd be like, oh, shit, did you have to break all my teeth? You know, you could have left at least one molar. But in the big scheme of things, I'd be like, eh, I deserved it. You know, I fucking ran over his dog. It's yeah, but here, here are the things like, um, <sighs> we must, well, nowadays, in this degraded age, we mistake love with 
license. Mm-hmm. Now, if you really love someone, you see, this is why. Do you let you them? Need to do be you monk. let them destroy themselves? Absolutely correct. You, you, you see, once <laughs> again, I've spoken for like three minutes, and this man, in one sentence, encapsulates everything I was trying to say. Perfect. I should shut up and let you talk. Love is not we've been so programmed by modern music and movies to think that love is an emotion it's not an emotion love is a choice a conscious absolute choice Um, and I, I argued with my wife about this for quite a while after we got married because I kept telling her look you know, love is a choice. It's not like, um, you know, we have both had turbulent lives and whatever, and sometimes we'd argue and whatever, and she'd say like, but I, I want to be happy. And I'm like, fuck your solipsistic, selfish bullshit. Uh, life's not about you being happy. That's not what being a Catholic is about. You know, you don't become Catholic because you want to be happy. You become a Catholic because it's true. And as a Catholic, you know that living on this earth as a Catholic you will get a ton of shit from everybody. The point is not to be happy. It's to do good. You're soldiers in the army of God behind enemy lines. Which fucking special ops guy do you know that is sitting there, you know, hiding, wearing the enemy uniform to just try sneak his way past to blow up some station that needs to be blowing up that's like, I'm happy. I'm running in the fucking sunshine on the beach. Yes, swimming with dolphins. No! You're hiding under the sand, crawling your way through, slitting somebody's throat so you can get to the station that you need to blow up. That's the job. <laughs> you know, it's like, and it, yeah. you know, it took a while for that to sink in. But funny, you know, she's got a very good sense of humor. She's very funny. And um, just yesterday, I think it was, you know, I mean, she's like eight and three quarter months pregnant. We've got like two savages as kids. They're they're, they're <laughs> fucking f- feral children. You know, her daughter is she's awesome and really smart, but she's also fucking hyperactive and and crazy. And she cannot, honest to God, that little girl cannot keep her mouth shut. I mean, I hear her singing to herself when she's playing on her own. It's it, it's really funny in 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 and cute in some ways, and it's absolutely soul-destroying in other moments when maybe you're like trying to work on a spreadsheet <laughs> and you know it's an ongoing sort of commentary and then we've got the little viking fucking warrior who's like not even one and a half months old he can climb tables he can climb stairs he walks up and down the stairs like a grown-up now he's he's like unreal he understands everything that you say but he like he makes up his own language because fuck you he's gonna tell you food is shish like, what the fuck? Are you Turkish? Shish kebab? What is that? He, when he wants food, it's shish. That's it. That's the word, dude. And and when he wants you to go somewhere, he like, you know, and if you don't move fast enough, <laughs> that's the next step. <laughs> he knows exactly what he wants. He can undo any belt buckle, you know, in the car, out of the car, in the pram. And his mother, you know, he is definitely a filotto child, male, because women... Yeah. Yeah. Like, stop doing that. I'm going to smack your ass. Stop tying your ass. When she's driving. When I'm there, I'm like, hey. And he's like, mm. 
yes, father. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. Uh, unless you're eight and three quarter months pregnant with these two feet old children, right? So she's she's got that going on, and I've been like super busy with like personal stuff, work stuff, uh, my dad's stuff. You know, I'm I'm literally drowning, and uh, so I go in the kitchen to her and I say, "Listen, you know, I'm 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 sorry. I've been you know a little bit absent, and I'm I'm a bit short sometimes. You know, I, I apologize. You know what's going on, and I you know." hats off to her she's not like most women she says i know don't worry about it i know what you're going through i know what you're doing i know why you're doing it this three hour stream you know why i'm doing that and it's not uh, don't get me wrong i love all you guys and i love talking with you but there's a reason why i'm doing this and it's it's not you know necessarily about it's not about money it's about the truth you know it is i believe this is helping people and it's helping me it's helping you it's helping the people in the chat that's why i'm doing it and um you know and i said well <laughs> as a joke right i said but darling isn't this the very life you envisioned with kids and a happy marriage barefoot in the kitchen and pregnant isn't that what you know everything you ever hoped for and she looked at me and with that quick-witted mind of hers without missing a beat goes well i have to say something at least now I have a chance in the afterlife. Perhaps after death I might be happy. <laughs> and I was like, and again, because I'm not slow either, I was like, darling, you've got it. That's the essence of Catholicism. Well done. <laughs> you know, this life is misery and, and terrible. And But, you know, when you're dead, you, after purgatory, of course, more misery and pain, then you might get up there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's not about being happy it's about being truth um. oh wait we have a soul to save Lisa Penderson says Kurgan is it okay to join the Catholic Church as it is now not the Novus Orca Church the Sedevacantis Church if you don't know what that is I would suggest if you want to go for the easy read get Believe it's nine bucks, 98 pages. You can read it in under two hours. And that'll give you a primer. If you want to the whole full details, go for the Reclaiming the Catholic Church, which is 530 pages. Doesn't skip a beat. Written in the same um, style. So not exactly reverent and boring, but uh, yeah. I think AJ Rhino described it as a bat to the head on every page or something along those lines. So. Michael, Pe sorry, I'm just quickly catching up because there's a bunch of comments I haven't even bothered to read. Let's see, same as family roots and being born in the region. Um, yeah. Oh, Michael Pecker is talking to uh, the other guy about being Ukrainian. Okay, you guys are talking amongst yourselves. That's fine. So I can't go to the local St. Paul's Church if I convert to Catholicism. Uh, if it's a Novus Orca church, they're absolute heretics, and as a Catholic, you are not allowed to go into fake temples. Even if they used to be Catholic and they got taken over by the freaks, pederasts, and uh, imposters, Satanists, um, you're not allowed to um, worship there. So, no, find yourself a good Catholic priest. I've mentioned this, I think, on my blog. Go to Canon. C-A-N-O-N, 
and the number 188.com canon188.com there's a there's a i think it's on the first page of the blog or whatever there's a, a link there to ecclesia that looks vera or something like that which gives you where all the actual still catholic priests and churches are so get to your nearest one some people have traveled to another country to get to a catholic priest and this man over here i'm hoping to send him a catholic priest since he can't leave the country so yeah Ram looks like he could be a bouncer. Yes, I think that that's one of the steps in the religious order. Somebody asked me about the minor orders. The very first one, I forget the exact name, but I think of it as bouncer for the church. Is the guy who stands outside and says, you're allowed. No, nah, you're not allowed. No, nah, you're a Satanist. Get away. No, you, you cheated on your wife. So you have to repent. Get on your knees, fool, before you can be allowed in to confess. Catholics have bouncers at their churches. Real Catholics have got their bouncers, and uh, I think that's the first, the first of the holy orders. So, but you know, here's the thing: because I'm so, I mean, it probably doesn't really come over on the camera, but I'm a really big guy. You are. I I, I can tell because I know people. I I don't know <laughs> from yeah. Uh, I, How I'm, tall are you? I'm either 96, so in metrics, so I think it's like a 6 or 5. Yeah. But he's a gentle uh, giant. Uh, unless he loses sorry? his shit. But he's a gentle giant, I'm just telling the crowd. Um, unless he loses his shit. I think if Wooly Ram actually, if, if you could do something that actually made him lose his shit, I think, I don't know, but just my genetics... My, my my take on his genetics, I think he would be what they used to call berserkers. The guys who used to eat their own shields and just fucking slay anything that moved, including their own guys. Okay. Yeah. Here's the thing. Um, getting angry is honestly physically painful to me. Because I can... This might sound odd, but I can actually... When I get angry, I can feel something physically break in my head. Very interesting. Right? I when I get angry, I've got a red. liver condition that if I get pissed off, my liver fucking goes spastic. So it's a genetic issue. So it's very interesting. You've got one in your head. That's very yeah. It's it's an honest feeling, and it's a feeling I've learned to dread because it means that what I'm going to do after whatever it is in my head breaks is going to be stupid. <laughs> So I don't do anything if that happens. Yeah. This is a wise man. It, the thing is, it's something I learned as a kid. It's one of the reasons I've actually never, I don't engage in physical um, altercations. Okay, here in Israel, the average height is um, 178 centimeters. <laughs> That's about 5 foot 10 or 5 foot 11, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. I'm five foot, no, six foot five. So when I was measured um, a few years before my uh, induction into the Israeli army, I was 196 centimeters at age 15. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not sure exactly how much I weigh, but it's probably about above 100 kilos. I'm sure it is, yeah. By my own disposition, I am not 
given to violence. Because as a kid, when I simply took a kid who insulted me repeatedly and shoved his face into the building of the school we were learning in, I didn't see him in school for the next week. And his mother like complained uh, rather vociferously to my own mother about having to take her kid to uh, the hospital and have him stitched up. <laughs> uh, you see, this, this is the kind of, you know, there are very few real priests left. And I haven't actually met a real monk, although I've read about Father Gerard de la Riens, who was absolutely a proper Benedictine monk. And this man has got all the hallmarks of a monk. And you see, when I said he was wise, he learned this as a kid. I am now 51 years old. And I have kind of, you know, with God anything is possible, but I know that my ability to ever have proper wisdom again if i think of dungeons and dragons my wisdom is barely barely maybe a 13 that is just enough for you to be a paladin right because i i know for a fact you know there are certain things like you hurt one of my kids or whatever there's just there's not going to be any wisdom in the reaction there. It's just going to be a lot of bodies, a lot, a lot of stacked bodies. But wisdom, yeah, not, not a lot of that. But I take comfort in the fact that, you know, probably I don't have a lot of choice because genetics. If you read my father's book, which is called Life and Death in Africa, and I, honest to God, not because he's my dad, neither my dad or I have ever given a shit about money. Believe me. But it's a brilliant book. It's very well written. It's very funny. And he's got the same name as me, Giuseppe Filoff. So go look it up. But if you read that book, you'll see that I think it's towards the end where he mentions about, I can't remember what he was talking about, but he, he mentions about his kids and like, you know, how my dad's not a Catholic. I mean, he was baptized as a Catholic, but he's not a believer. He is quite, it's very interesting, the relationship between me and him with regard to my complete zealotry of, of a Catholic, which I was I was absolutely not a Catholic. I was a complete hedonist. We've got very similar life stories, although, you know, most of my whoring as a man, I did unmarried. Um, he did most of his while still married to my mother. So, and, and to a very vast degree, let's say. But um, despite that, it's very interesting to see that he doesn't at all judge my Catholicism. He is sort of curious of it from afar. And, and we discuss it in past. You know, it's like with my dad, it's a very curious relation, very good relationship, but it's a very curious. We understand each other super well. And it's sort of like a telepathic sort of like, you know what I mean, dad. I know what you mean, son. And we discussed nothing. But it's known. And um, anyway, in, in his book, he talks about how, you know, how he feels about his children, all of his children, which, of course, includes, you know, all of us. And he says, and, and um, I think he says something along the lines of like, you know, and obviously when my children were small, if anybody hurt any one of them, I would chop them up into little fucking pieces regardless of the consequences. And 
that still applies today. And, you know, he's 73, I think. Um, and, and there is no word of a lie there. I am absolutely 100% certain that, you know, if somebody completely fucked me up, killed me, or whatever, that actually used to be one of my, um, when I was working as a bodyguard and whatever, and people didn't, sometimes, you know, the people I worked for, whatever, didn't want to sign contracts or whatever. I'd be like, I don't give a fuck about a contract, dude. I don't give a shit. I've given your name to people who care about me. If something happens to me and you don't do right by me, like if I die because I'm protecting you and you don't pay the money that we agreed to the people that I agreed you'd pay money to if I drop dead, if I have to shoot 10 people because of you and you don't cover my court costs and all that shit, you're dead. You're fucking dead. Your name and address has been given to people that will absolutely look for you wherever you hide on earth, find you, and cut your fucking head off with a spoon if need be. So, you know, that, that kind of mentality is, uh, I, I, I wouldn't say there's wisdom there. <laughs> there. It's again, it's that seeking justice takes precedence over everything else. And this man, without, you know, I'm, I'm I, again, I don't give uh, compliments for, for free or, or, you know, because I'm trying to look up to anybody, whatever. But Willie Rand is absolutely and will always be a wiser person than I am. And because of that, I believe that he is a rung or two or ten higher than me in the hierarchy of things. Because wisdom is uh, a higher level of being able to do justice. I'm, I'm like, when everything else is fucked up, then you come to me and it's like, eh, do justice, dude, here's a hammer. You know, like... This guy understands the concept of justice at a higher level. So it's a very uh, rambling concept, but I hope it makes sense. I don't know. I'll shut up now and let you talk. <laughs> well, I think it's time to conclude this stream. I'm on a roll. We're, we're not even four hours in. We're like 20 minutes from four hours. It's a, it's a short one. <laughs> True, but at least I would like to at least bring this point yeah. to a sort of end. Yeah. If we decide to continue rambling, let it be. But just here's a point, okay, about judgment, the last judgment, the end of an age and all that. Yeah. All of us, except whatever few people live at the very end of Jesus Christ's, um, well, rulership from the seat of mercy. Yeah. We will all die. All of us. No exceptions. Yep. Our bodies will rot. Everything we work on this earth will decay and disappear and be forgotten from all memory. Yeah. But we will all face Jesus Christ in judgment. This will be our last day. There is no escaping this judgment. There is no evasion. There is no lawyering. There is nothing that will give any of us even a sliver of 
when you face Jesus, after you die, you don't get to argue your case, as it were, before him. <laughs> Indeed. Because it's the truth. It's the absolute truth. Yes. It's, think of yourself, think of your, your own self, you know, in those rare moments of silent solitude. Yes. When you are completely bereft of excuses and duty and everything, it might be, you know, you've woken up a bit early this morning, you've had your cup of coffee, and you're just sitting there at the balcony, and you're all alone. Yes. Just drinking coffee. Yeah. It's that moment. Or at the end of a tiring work week, you're right there, you know, you've taken your last shower of the week, you're about to go to bed. Think of that moment. Yeah. That moment when there's nothing and no one and you're just... Those are the moment of judgment. And that's what's going to happen when you die. So all of this prophecy about the end of days and the end of all ages and the judgment that we are all going to face, yeah. it's going to be that sort of moment. So it's that sort of moment of complete and utter peace where there's no passion. That's when you're going to face Christ. You know, that's very interesting. You're mentioning that, I think, probably terrifies most people. My sensation, as you mentioned, that you will face God and there will be no, no escaping, no excusing. The sensation I honestly felt was... Uh, peace it was actually happiness it was like oh thank god i'll actually get that and the, it reminded me of a scene in a film that i've read the book and the book is brilliant um i can't remember what the name of the film is it's got jennifer lopez in it and she's kind of married to a rich guy in a town but then this guy breaks his car down gets into town ends up banging her I don't remember the name, and and the the book is brilliant because it starts out with, well, I didn't believe in Jesus or Elron Hubbard or whatever, and then later on it talks about, again, it, it mentions like Jesus or Buddha or Elron Hubbard, you know, the guy who invented uh, Scientology. It's a very well written book, short book. I can't remember what it's called, uh, and again, it's got Jennifer Lopez in it. So if one of you guys knows what I'm talking about, just make the name. But there's a scene in it where there's, I can't remember if he's blind, but there's this Red Indian, and I've always had an affinity with Red Indians, and the few that I've met, they, they understand, we kind of understand, same like I've had an affinity with the Japanese, and again, you know, I, I, I believe in sort of reincarnation, I believe I've been one of these people, I don't know, whatever, but we kind of fit, and there's this Red Indian guy, this old man that goes, he's talking to somebody, he goes, no, because all that's bullshit, and when you die, God is going to punch you right in the fucking heart, and that's the truth. And you won't be able to run away from any of it. And I was like, yep. And that's what I, I look forward to that. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it's going to be pleasant. But no. but it's going to be true. <laughs> that's what matters. So, yeah. That, that's the thing. I mean, you will probably, if you look online, you will, 
encounter all sorts of priests, traditional priests, who will be talking about the suffering you will face in purgatory. And they will talk about, you know, the pain and... There's one guy in the chat that said, like, I think Bergen looks forward to spending at least one minute in purgatory so he's had the experience. I want to tell you, no. I believe there was one of the saints, I can't remember who she was, who described spending one second in purgatory and thinking it was the most absolutely horrid, hellish, unbearable, undescribable pain. And that was just one second. And some people will have to spend millennia in it. I'm not looking forward to a single second of purgatory. All, all I can say about purgatory is I know that as a human being, as a soul, I will not be able to withstand it, but I will be able to withstand it because of God's grace. That's all I can say about it. And it is an absolutely horrid thing that if I like, and I am in no way comparing myself to our Lord, but like Jesus in the garden, I am praying, God, please, if I can avoid this somehow, help me find a way to avoid it. Because I'm not scared of many things. Um, and I'm not scared of this because I'm such an unconscious fucker that I don't care about the pain I will suffer in the future. But I care about justice. And I know I deserve a bunch of pain to cleanse me, not because of pain, but to, to, to clear me. But yeah, I'm not looking forward to a single second of purgatory. I really am not. Um, so yeah, I, I believe it's absolutely going to be hell, literally. So that's my take on yeah. it. Like, like we said in the uh, opening of the stream, purgatory is part of hell that yeah. still has an exit. Yeah. That is still, um, in some way, exposed to God's mercy. But when you look at the descriptions of hell, consider this. Think of suffering and make, you know, it might even be entirely mental and spiritual suffering yeah. Which is that you know has no end. Yeah, There's no measure to it. And Barnhart described hell extremely well. She said that is a place where every soul blames you with absolute hatred for everything. And there is absolutely not even the shred of the idea or the concept of charity. It yes. is utter torture. It's like, fuck me. You know, I, I, I'm not motivated by fear. So I'm... You know, there are there are things that drive people. There are people that go towards something because it's positive, and there are people that go away from something because it's negative. I'm not the type of person that goes away from things because they're negative. I don't give a fuck how negative they are. I care about what's true. I go towards things because they're positive. So I am not, in my unwisdom, it's unwise, it's stupid, do not be like me, but I am not particularly scared of hell, and I'm not particularly scared of purgatory. I don't want to be in hell. I absolutely subject myself 100% to Jesus Christ. And I know, as I'm saying this right now, I'm saying I'm not scared of purgatory. It's true. I also know that I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Just like, you know, very small, simple example. 
like when I first wrote The Face on Mars and what I had to do to get that book published, if you told me before I did it what I would have to do, I wouldn't have started. But I also know that I'm the kind of guy that says, I'm going to do this. And then he jumps in, gets his arms and legs cut off, and he's just like, yeah, it's just a flesh wound. And I'll carry on through. And that, by the way, I think is one of the defining functions of the warrior caste. We have no wisdom, but we have perseverance. It's perseverance until the other thing, whatever the other thing is, including Satan, is destroyed. <laughs> it's like we don't know how to stop. We're not smart, we're not wise, we're not clever, but we're determined. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Right, to continue the, um, the point. Yeah. The one differentiating point between hell and purgatory is that in both places you will suffer immensely. The difference is that in purgatory there you will be capable of positive experience. You will be capable of wishing good for yourself and others. You will be capable of experiencing positive from the prayers of the living. You will be capable of experiencing God's mercy. You will be capable of experiencing uh, con consolation from your guardian angel. And, I mean, to circle back to something a little, um, I suppose, more mundane, think of all the absolutely stupid things you did as a kid that didn't kill you. <laughs> I was thinking about that the other day, looking at my son, and I'm thinking, yeah, that's not so, you know, he fell off the trampoline and whatever, and it's like, eh, you know, I was allowed to run around in the savannah with fucking live, poisonous, deadly snakes that there's no serum that would save your ass, fucking lions, oh, honest to God, we, it was like, I look back and I think, what the fuck were my parents even thinking about? Were they thinking at all? You know, it's like we're alive. My, my brother and I, and we're alive by. We had a fucking cobra in the same room as my sister, who was like a baby. And it was like, yeah, kill the cobra. You know, it's just like, how the fuck did we even live? You know, it's like, so yeah, absolutely. I'm just thinking as an example. Um, one of the places I grew up as a kid was a uh, yeah sorry about that was a, my contacts are drying up oh, oh gotcha i'll take them out i'm not crying but, <laughs> so we lived in a settlement that was built around a little uh, hill mm -hmm. and the entrance to this place was at the top of the hill so we as kids who had bicycles of course Talk to ourselves. The most fun thing to do would be to take our bicycles to the top of the hill. Oh, I can relate. And ride them down. Now, at the bottom of this hill was a speed bump, a very tall speed bump, which you could, as a kid, you know, use all the momentum you gathered from that, like three hundred or four hundred meters of just spiraling down <laughs> to hop with your bicycle. Now. I'm not sure exactly what speed we're rushing at, you know, to the bottom of this hill. <laughs> it was probably 50, 60 kilometers per hour, yeah. give or take. <laughs> I mean, that's a speed where if you're in a car, yeah. 
and you're going, you know, if your card is a T-bone at that sort of speed, you're, you're dead. dead. Yeah, yeah. But as kids, we're going down there at that, you know, <laughs> we were taking stones and pieces of wood to build ramps. Yeah. After this, um, this speed bump at the end of the, of the road, so that we could jump our bicycles higher. Who we'll survived that? Yeah. So, as a sort of message of hope, your guardian angel who guarded you during this level of stupidity at your childhood, <laughs> he will be there with you in purgatory. That you don't know how much of a, of a, of a, saving grace of hope that is I mean just to you've reminded me of some things from my childhood uh, consider this with my cousins uh, because he was the smallest and therefore the easiest to do this with we rolled my brother in the snow until he became a bit of a of a, of a wheel with him as the pivot inside it and rolled him down the hill where my grandparents lived. You know, we had this hill that went right to the bottom where there was a few apple trees and then a cliff face that dropped about two or three meters onto a road where a tractor would run and, and the neighbor's fields were. And we're like, no, no, no let, let's get it from up here so that we make already a nice good snowball with you in it. So, you know, it's a good avalanche. And then we rolled him off it and he survived. And by the way, he was all for it. He wasn't bullying. He was like, oh, cool, I, I get to be the guy in the snow. <laughs> of course, thought a little bit differently at the end of it. But yeah, we, we all lived through that. <laughs> it's amazing. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. Yep. I mean, if you, if you think of basically all the, I mean, our Lord himself saying how many people lose the way and are find themselves on the, on the wide path. To hell and damnation. Yeah. Or uh, what is it? Um, I, for, I forget the actual placement of it, but um, the place where it says that you know many of us will you know reach the kingdom as those saved through fire. Yeah. It, yeah. I I know it. I don't know. I don't remember which gospel it's in, but I know what you mean. It's like you have to go through the yeah. Uh, I get We're this. all going. Yeah. Like, if you don't get to be a martyr or a living saint, you're going to go through purgation. Yeah. It's like and you said. It's it's it sounds very you know kind of like my wife. We're like, well, my life is hell, but maybe I have a chance in afterlife. Like what you said in the last stream that we spoke, where it's like, look, you know, Protestants are like, yeah, we're saved. We're all saved. All we're saved. Catholics are like, uh, no, 80% of people are going to hell, and those 20% that are not going to hell are all going to purgatory, except for maybe one or two guys who are like living saints, and they're all going to suffer as if they're in hell for a long time before they actually get a chance to go to heaven. <laughs> that's that, that's Catholic. That's, that's true. And again, it doesn't come from our ideas. It's in the Bible. The road I mean, to Christ perdition. himself tells us the road to hell is wide. And and well-traveled, indeed. Yeah. So, but here's, to put, to put a more hopeful spin on it. Yeah. You may find yourself in the um, outer layers of hell. The difference between you and the reprobate, the damned, the wicked, 
the people who willfully, consciously, and you know, who choose evil, who choose to defy God, who who choose yeah. damnation. In Catholic thought, no one gets damned but by their own choice. Yes, it's it's something I thought of because the, the concept of eternal damnation is painful and it's vicious, right? I mean, I had a guy. Um, He's actually the husband of a very good friend of mine. She is awesome. I've known her since high school. In my lowest moments, this lady, you could be across the other side of the planet. She'll fucking come and help you out. And she married this really cool guy. And they're nominally Catholics, but like, you know, Novus Orca stuff. I mean, at their wedding, they had a priest that was like, he made a comparison about being saved with like a toilet brush it's like he was dressed in fucking rainbow color it was just like because of um you know when when my daughter was taken and whatever and i had my road to the mat before i had my road to the damascus moment as soon as i told her what had happened she immediately dropped everything came to my house slept in my spare room fed me washed my clothes, washed my, you know, I didn't sleep for a week. She slept, but she, she basically looked after me like, like she was my mom or something, you know, we're the same age. And um, awesome lady. And she married this really cool guy. And um, the way she, um, what the fuck, how did I start, why did I start saying this? What was I talking about? Oh, a message of hope about yeah, her husband said, like, look, eternity, really, however bad you can be. I mean, think about, say, Hitler and all the shit he did and the bad stuff he did. But if you think of it in terms of eternity, that's just like a tiny little line on a huge line. And what? God is such an asshole that he, like, con, con you know, condemns you to eternity in hell for bad shit that you did. Really? Um, I kind of saw his point, but on the other hand, because I seek justice, I absolutely understand God's point of view. There's some shit, you cross that line, you're done. There's actually two points to put on this. Yeah. The one, um, a more practical one, yeah. look at your own life and look at the life of others. How many people repeatedly choose continual suffering for themselves and others most of them that's it, it's it's a horrifying realization yeah but how many people refuse to stop smoking refuse to stop drinking refuse to stop eating sugar-laden foods yeah how many people refuse to simply you know do a set of push-ups squats you know in the morning yeah that's it. I just, you know, myself. Just stop yourself ballooning from a human zeppelin. <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> I'm going to use that one, human zeppelin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like choosing damnation is not a, um, it's not a multiple question like test where you, you know, tick the box for. Oh, I got it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. God's not a lawyer. He, yeah. But, you know, as we talked on in the first stream, because humans are immortal, we are, we are not fundamentally mortal. We are fundamentally immortal. Yes. 
And your behavior right now, right here, is either um, revealing your eternal nature yeah. or establishing it. Yes, indeed. From the point of view of immortality, I'm not sure which is which, but I don't know if that's an important question. It, it is. So, uh, yeah. But so every time you choose to uh, eat the ice cream, you know, or let's say put it this way, eat the third scoop of ice cream, because two scoops of ice cream as, you know, that's okay. Yeah. But the third scoop of ice cream, yeah. that's where you choose to be fat. Yeah. Or the third every cup time, of ice cream, as some people will. But the thing is, that that's where you choose eternity. Yeah, it is. And also, if you put it into more um, social um, lines, it's when you choose again and again to respond to insults with insults. When you again and again respond to injuries with your own injuries. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat uh, guilty of that both I think actually guilty of and apparently guilty of they're two different things um, you know I'm far from perfect or, or not covered in flaws um, it certainly appears a lot more that I uh, react to insult with insult but it's almost I would say at least eight times out of ten maybe nine times out of ten it's not about reacting for my own ego, but it's an instructive reaction. It's, it's a reaction to help others see the truth. Like um, the best example I can think of, and I put it on my blog as well, is that whole Padre Gio uh, conflict that went on for about two months on uh, Social Galactic. I don't care what the guy said about me or even... It was to expose him for the deceiving liar that he is to others and the interesting thing is that the way it started out most people were like oh there's the Kurgan just you know beating some poor homeless priest to death and after about two weeks it was like uh wait a minute that's not a homeless priest that's a deceiving assassin (laughs) (laughs) it's quite interesting how that turned around over over time like the, the, the general guideline when it comes to um, you know dealing with insult yeah. is if the insult is personally to you, yeah, then Doesn't you forgive me. and just let it pass over you. Yeah, I, I absolutely have that attitude. Except when the insult to me is also, you know, it's theoretically to me, but it's actually uh, kind of to the overall um you know like when somebody to says oh you you said of a cantists or like some idiot uh can't remember his name you said of a cantists are meaningless you have no effect it's you know it's ridiculous it's a ridiculous statement because it, it's basically saying well you know christians are irrelevant there's only four women and 11 scared men hiding in a house yeah and they changed the world fucker so, you know, oh, sort of a cantus are useless. There's not enough of them. I've had a guy argue with me on Social Galactic and on my blog that, 
oh, well, certificantes can't be true because there's not enough of them. Huh? <laughs> what? It, it, that's basically like saying, well, uh, you know, a million people say that 2 and 2 is 69, so well, just because there's only 5 of you saying 2 and 2 is 4, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with the 69. Huh? How many non-Aryans were there at the year 400? Yeah, exactly. It was between How many non-Christians were there at the year 70? Th there you go. Again, 11 guys, you know, whatever. Fucking 11 guys at the year, the year 34. Yeah. You know, after, after our Lord, yeah. you know, He's crucified, he dies, Yeah. he comes back, he teaches the apostles. How many Christians were at that point? Eleven, plus four women, so fifteen. Plus four women, and the, the, the three thousand that uh, St. Peter baptized in Jerusalem? Yeah, but I'm, I'm going even before that. You know, Literally, after Jesus Christ got crucified, it was eleven scared men and four women. Yeah, but I mean, if you go by um, Catholic dogma, yeah. so the church was born on Pentecost. Yeah. yeah. So at Pentecost, you have uh, 11 men, yeah. four women, and the 3,000, and yeah. the, let's say 3,002 people that uh, St. <laughs> Peter baptizes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you have 3,015 people? 17 or whatever, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure we have got more set of vacantists than that. I'm absolutely certain of that. So, because we've got about 400 churches that are definitely there. Uh, online, and I know for a fact because I, I know from personal experience that there are other groups that are not on that website that still meet regularly, that still have the sacraments, that still have a valid priest attending to them. So, yeah, we've got definitely more than 3,000 people, and I would say it's probably in the hundreds of thousands. And online, I would say it's probably approaching about a million. Now, here's a very interesting thing, which I'll take from the face of Mars and my 26 years ago writing. There is a concept which I learned about when I was 16 from lasers, which let's see if I still remember what laser stands for, because most people don't know, but lasers is an acronym. Light amplification by something... Um, Amplification reson I don't know. Slight amplification by resonating something or other. That's what laser actually means. And what happens is between two mirrors, when you use lasers, you like keep reflecting the same light. And once I think I can't remember now if it's like one hundredth or one thousandth of the uh, electrons get to a certain frequency, they have like a cascade effect that pings all the other um, electrons into the same frequency and that's why you get the coherent light that forms a laser that will burn through steel and stuff. Now this principle of like 1% or I think it's 1% if I remember right. It, I, I'm almost sure it's 1%. They had like the 100th monkey. It's another book that was written about how um, in World War II pilots you should just drop these like sweet potatoes that were covered in engine oil from being in the plane. They would just drop them because they were just like excess cargo. And the monkeys on the little island wouldn't eat them. It's in Rupert Sheldrake's uh, A New Science of Life book. And until one monkey took one of these sweet potatoes and scrubbed it in the sea and then ate it. And then the other monkeys that saw it doing that started doing it. Now the thing is, there was a little group of islands and like 
the monkeys on one island started doing it, and then all of a sudden, all the other monkeys on other islands, which had no contact with these monkeys, started doing it. And that's the concept of morphic resonance. Now, the thing is, it looks like when 1% of the population gets attuned to a certain new skill, new ability, new information, spontaneously it starts to appear in the whole population. So, you know, there are about 1.2 billion Catholics, nominal Catholics. So what we've got to do is, uh, if my maths is right, after half a bottle of Jägermeister, about, a, is it 120 million um, set of vacantists? If you get to 120 million set of vacantists, then everybody else is going to twig, I think. That's 10%. Okay. You don't need that much. There you go, only 1.2 million then. 1.2 million, 1.12, no, that's 12 million, it's 120 million. No, it, it is, isn't it 12 million? Let me write it down. If I have 12 million, and that's 1%, I have to add, to get to 1.2 billion, I have to add how many zeros? I have to add two, yeah, it's 1%, so 12 million. We just need 12 million set of vacantists, and then it'll flip. And that's that's an achievable number, because I think the set of vacantists now, confidently, I would put them at roughly in the hundreds of thousands. Um, Before we get to one million, you know, within the decade. Yeah, I, I would. I, we might be at one million already. We might be at about 1.2 million already. So... Um, you know, we just got to convert another nine people each and uh, mm -hmm. there. And I think, you know, despite our starting about the end times, I think that there is, who knows? I, I you know, the whole Nostradamus thing, the, the whole world was supposed to end in 1986. I remember that very clearly. And I remember thinking at the time that it's like, nah, it's up to us. If we think that the world's going to end up in 1986, then we probably will. If we're just like, nah, fuck you. 1986 is just going to be another year. And I do believe, you see, the concept of free will allows for the possibility that revelation doesn't necessarily have to happen the way it's written out. I believe that. Revelation is prophesized in the Bible but I do believe that however small, there is the option that if we all choose the right way, we don't necessarily have to, you know, go through that. Maybe I'm wrong, but... I think revelation, I mean, revelation will happen one way or the other, but here is the thing. If you go to the word revelation... Yeah, it means a, a revealing. Uh, yeah. yeah, at some point there will be a full... Revelation of the truth. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I mean, to some to some degree, it's um, the priests talk about um, basically God being um, God has the right to be fully justified, and um, there's another word for it, um, like fully explicated in His justice, as in He has the right at some point to say, okay. This is the end point, and now I'm going to explain everything and expose everything and tell you and show you all 
how everything played out. Yeah. And God has the right to do that. Not just the right, he has the ability. You know, it's up to him. Yeah, he absolutely can do that. There's a very interesting comment, comment I saw here. That's, um, can guardian angels be mother's past? Yes, I don't necessarily think they're angels, but um, I've personally had the experience of my granddad certainly looking over me and, and helping me out. So yeah, absolutely. I do believe that your your past mother can help you. Yeah. Yes, C.S. I have read The Great Divorce. It's very well explained. I, I would agree that's a very good description of purgatory. Edifying chat. I think we've gone over four hours now. And I am starting to get a little bit tired. And there's, I see that you've dropped off. You weaklings, there's only 26 of you left from 50. <laughs> I'm very impressed. I'm also very happy that we've got the one down vote. He, he obviously came in and listened in enough to cast his one down vote. So, uh, yeah, I'm just going to wait for Wooly to come back and then I think I'm going to say goodnight. Especially because my, my power juice has run out. Gone. Gone. So, yeah, well, thank you all for being here. It's, it's really quite, um, quite interesting to see you dedicated few, you 50, you proper men and women. Um, yeah, four-hour stream, what the fuck? I mean, that's crazy. But I really enjoy talking to this man, and uh, he's a very wise human being. I absolutely hope that uh, he becomes a monk in Israel. That would be awesome. And I think he would do a lot of good. Well, let's see, we've got one comment. Where are we? Uh, been here the whole time. Heinz Gutberian. <laughs> There's a dedicated guy. <laughs> That's awesome. Hasn't felt like four hours. I hope this becomes a regular thing. I, I really enjoy speaking with him. Uh, my, my own uh, my my availability time wise is pretty stretched. I double dozen viewing and two plus thumbs down. A fulfilling fright. Only yeah, only one thumbs down as I can see. It was a good one. God bless you both. Well, thank you very much, Ethan. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know about Woolly Bear, but I'm, I'm fading, so I'm going to... Yeah, I'm, I was just saying to the guys here and thanking them for... The, we've gone over four hours, so... Yeah. We, gotcha. We, we, I, think, I think it's time to say goodnight to the 26 <laughs> zealots, absolute zealots that are still here. Um, Heinz Goodberian has been here the whole four hours, so... Hats off to you, mate. <laughs> That's pretty. And we've had the one down vote. You know, our our persistent one down vote is is there. I think we've achieved everything we can achieve. <laughs> I just want to say, um, in closing, 
Don't fear the end of all time. Absolutely. We will all face the end of our time. One way or the other. Yeah. Now, considering the sort of times we're in, and somewhat circling back to the uh, to the Buddhist you were talking about, because of well, various factors, there's a very emotional perception of religion. Yeah. Throw that away. Yeah. One of the most important tools you have as a Catholic is something called true contrition. And reason. Reason and logic. Yeah. We all need to truly examine day by day our lives and practice, and I do mean practice as in, you know, get better and better and better at it. True contrition for our sins. There's an actual manual for it. You can just choose, you can search it. It's uh, True Contrition, golden, the Golden Key to the Gates of Heaven, I think it's called. Oh, let me write it down. True Contrition. Uh, the Is it golden, did you say? Yeah, Golden Key to Heaven. It's, it's like a, uh, I think like an hour and a bit long audiobook. Okay. From just before the Catholic Church was converged yeah. and taken over, approved by St. Pius X. Oh, perfect. If it was approved by St. Pius X, then uh, you know it was good. That guy didn't mess yeah. around. And it's, it's a tool that we absolutely need nowadays because the sacraments are just not as available as they used to be. And it's the it's the spiritual and mental discipline that you need to cleanse yourself. The golden key to the gates of heaven, is it? That's the like the long form. Just a moment. Yeah, um, it's just because uh, Baron von Blair was asking. The golden key to I, I don't think Baron von Blair has missed a single stream. Right. Okay. So it's in um, classic Catholic audiobooks. It's on here on YouTube. Yeah. Perfect Contrition, The Golden Key to Paradise by St. Alfonso, Alfonso de Ligori. Perfect Contrition, The Golden Key to Paradise. And there's also one by um, Father Benedict Hughes. Okay. Thanks for that. The point of all this is this. Even if we are at the very end of all ages, and as prophesied well, by our Lord himself and by his saints, there will come a time where there is no access, no matter where or who you are, to the sacraments. Yeah, that's prophesied, yeah. You still have access to your own will. Yeah. And in your own will, you can have regret for your sins and will yourself to love God. And regret for your sins is not an emotion. It's not boo-hoo-hoo. 
I sinned and offended God. Yeah. It's a choice like love. It's an actual conscious choice. It's, a, it's an act of will and conscience. So, yeah. if there's anything you can derive from our four hours of rambling about everything, uh, the, we will all die, yeah. we will all face judgment, but there is mercy. There is a sea of mercy, there is an overflowing of mercy. Just take it and drink it. Because God is love. That was my experience, and I absolutely believe that is the sum total of it, really. But yes, I think at 4 hours and 20 minutes, we're uh, kind of hitting, the. I think, the outskirts of what live streams can ever possibly be. <laughs> I think we've gone into the outer realm of the twilight zone of live streaming duration. And I'm, I'm stunned. There's still 25 people, like, still here which i think we're here from the beginning very impressed with that uh, i think this this stuff counts for some purgatory time you know uh, like 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 woolly bear said it's easier to do your your penance here than in purgatory so you know you keep listening to the streams you protestants <laughs> well thank you very much i am gonna call it night because my eyes are about to uh, get sucked in by my contacts so i was an enjoyable absolutely enjoyable stream and i think we'll need to do the next one you mentioned halfway through uh, we're gonna go through the, the tribes of of israel i think next i want to learn about that stuff i've, I've just uh, circled it here on my uh, on my scribbled notes I think I want to find out what all these tribes of, of uh, the 12 tribes, what they represent today and how do we know who's who and that sort of stuff. We can look into it another time. Cool. Thank you very much. I'm going to say good night. Good night, Gordon. And Sleep well. God bless you, Wooly Ram, and all of you uh, very zealous listeners. I'm, I'm very impressed with you all. Good night.